Hi, it's Debbie Hazelton, and here is Peter Korn on behalf of Amazon, a Ruby sponsor. Welcome. Thank you so much. It is fantastic to be here. This is Amazon's first time, and I trust won't be our last. And we are really excited to share with ACB members some of the work we've been doing to make our products and services accessible to folks with disabilities and particularly to folks who are blind or low vision. We've been working on accessibility for a few years in sort of the the new era. The new era of accessibility really began in 2013 when we made our Kindle app for iOS and Android accessible and that opened up... Thank you. That opened up a a few million books uh, to our customers. And then later that year, we brought the Android accessibility work to our 2013 model Fire tablets. Fire OS is a derivative of Android. And we brought over TalkBack and the Magnifier and their idea of large print to Fire Tablets starting in 2013. We've been investing and improving on that accessibility work in Fire OS. The following year in 2014, we expanded the notion of what large print was to truly large print. And then the following year in 2015, we introduced our very own written from scratch screen reader called VoiceView. VoiceView is available on All of our Fire tablets, starting with the $49 Fire 7 tablet, a 7-inch that we'll have at the conference, as well as the new $89 8-inch tablet and our 10-inch. It's primarily about features and screen size. The the 7-inch tablet is obviously our most affordable at $49. It has a monaural speaker rather than the Dolby stereo speakers of our other tablets. It's really optimized for doing things like reading books, whereas the 8 and especially the 10-inch tablet are optimized around watching videos. You can read books and watch videos on all of them. Every tablet does everything, but a bigger screen is great for movies. It's also great for folks with deteriorating vision who need large print. We did that in 2015. Then about eight, nine months later, in May of 2016, we brought VoiceView to Kindle e-readers, the iconic e-reader that is 10 years old this year now talks. But 2016 wasn't over yet. One month later, we brought VoiceView in preview form to Fire TV, making the television interface accessible. We did it as a preview form in June. We followed that up at the end of the year with a complete overhaul of the Fire TV interface. And with that, a complete overhaul of voice view. It's no longer preview. And we added features like a review mode, the ability to navigate by word and character so you can spell the actor's name. We began extending the Android or now Fire OS accessibility API with things like hint text and overview information to really make 
Fire TV warm and welcoming for new users. The base model is sort of a squarish box. It'll do 4K video and it's $89. But we have a value Fire TV stick that's a little bit bigger than a stick of Wrigley Spearmint gum for only $39. And we think that at a price like $39, we're probably going to get folks who've never used a screen reader before. And so it was really important to make a friendly, welcoming interface with a tutorial that starts the first time you use it and takes you through the interface. <laughs> we closed out 2016 with one last thing in the video space, we brought speech to the Amazon video playing app on what we call living room devices. So if you were to have an Xbox One or a Sony PlayStation or a Roku or many smart TVs like the Samsung smart TVs, Sony Blu-ray players, now those that talk now have a talking Amazon video app. So any device that you have... If it talks and can play videos, it's highly likely that the Amazon video player will talk there. We began this year in February returning to Kindle. We made the Kindle app for PC accessible. We've been working with NV Access and VFO. And so if you've got JAWS or NVDA, you can use that and enjoy now over 6 million accessible Kindle ebooks. We've been working on the Kindle file format itself, so now publishers can include alt text in their Kindle ebooks. And we have added a flag to the file to indicate whether it's screen reader supported. So if you're browsing the Kindle online store, look for the screen reader supported flag to have our guarantee that it will work with your screen reader. Then in March, we did something on the retail website for customers who want to use Amazon.com or buy through the iPhone app or any of our apps. We've added a dedicated toll-free phone number that you can call and the customer service agents are trained in screen reader use and in the kinds of questions that customers have. To round out the, the recent work, which is what we're going to be showing here at the convention over the next days, we have introduced a Fire TV Edition Smart TV. We're working with Element Electronics and Westinghouse who have built Fire TV and the VoiceView screen reader and Alexa into an entire line of 4K smart TVs. These TVs should now be shipping at the time of this recording, and those come in four sizes, 43 inches, 50 inches, 55, and 65. That's great feedback. We'll take that back to our partners. All of these TVs, VoiceView provides complete access to everything. The over-the-air broadcasts, electronic program guide. If you connect a cable box, which exposes program information, all of that is accessible. Switching inputs. All of these things can also be initiated through Alexa, through the voice remote. Just pick up the remote and say, Tune to NBC 
or switch input to Blu-ray. Having introduced VoiceView to Fire TV and Fire TV Edition smart TVs, there was one last obvious thing for us to do, which we've just announced, which is bringing audio description to Amazon Video. At launch, over 100 titles from studios like Disney, Lionsgate, NBC, Paramount, Warner Brothers are all available. So things like The Hunger Games or Inception, Captain America Civil War, The Big Short, all of these are now available via audio description. And we're working with the good folks at the Audio Description Project to make sure that their list of these titles is always up to date. And in addition to titles from other studios, Amazon original TV shows, those also are getting audio description at launch. Ten of the most popular, Bosch and The Man in the High Castle, Mozart in the Jungle, Transparent, as well as kids shows like Creative Galaxy and Gordimer Gibbons are available as full seasons of audio description. One last thing that uh, I want to talk about that we are just rolling out is our first version of Braille support for the VoiceView screen reader on Fire tablets. We are supporting Baum and Humanware displays as well as the brand new Orbit Reader 20. Amazon will be participating in the Braille business meeting later today at 4.15 to 6 o'clock. There we'll be talking about and demonstrating the new Braille support in our VoiceView screen readers and how that works on Fire tablets, how that works with the new Orbit Reader 20 Braille display. I hope to see you there. Hello, this is Larry Turnbull with ACB Radio, and with me now I have Renee Arrington Johnson as well as Harry Lightsey, who both work for General Motors. And welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for being a diamond sponsor of the 2017 American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention. That's our pleasure. Great. All right. Renee, I guess I will start with you. Uh, you are legally blind. And tell us what you do for uh, General Motors. Uh, okay, thanks. I have worked with GM uh, for almost 40 years. I have a degree in industrial engineering. And I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosis when I was 13 years old. I have worked as a floor engineer, I, um, designing layouts, uh, job setups, uh, working on what types of parts of a job a person would do to assemble parts and components that go into the vehicle. Uh, I've also worked as a corporate ergonomist, and now I work in divisional offices where I am responsible for performance metrics. And in addition to my normal job, I am the chair, actually the outgoing chair of our um, employee Resource Group for People with Disabilities, which is uh, just recently renamed as GM Able. I've been the chair for about the last 11 years. Great. And with uh, autonomous vehicles coming around, uh, how do you think they're going to impact those with disabilities in the next 5 to 20 years? It's going to have a big impact on people with disabilities, and particularly folks who are legally blind and, and cannot drive. I myself 
used to drive, and I know what it's like to have that freedom. And I, I gave up my driver's license. It's been, oh, my God, 15 years ago at least, maybe 16 years ago I gave up. And um, the ability to get that independence back is critical, I think, to one more step towards having the same freedoms that other people have and the, and the same ability to direct your life. You know, there's a lot to count on schedules and other people's schedules and bus schedules and everything else to get around. And to, be, to add that independence frees up a lot of our time to be able to be more productive as employees and in our personal lives. And what would your dream car be like? How would we get it to the point where somebody who is blind or visually impaired be able to be fully independent and be able to operate a vehicle like that? Uh, my dream car would be available to me at, with a audio request, and I would be able to give it directions as to where I want to go. It would give me information um, along the way and give me information when I arrive at my destination to help me to continue my trip. Uh, it would be comfortable. There would be room for my service dog to get in there along with myself or anything else that I'm carrying. Because as a person who's legally blind, I'm usually carrying all my stuff with me because I don't have my own vehicle. So it would have a lot of uh, room for me to be able to do that. And um, it would just be a seamless operation. I, anything that you can do without requiring your eyes, giving me information uh, as I requested, it, it would be a rolling <laughs> computer that gets me from one place to the other. I hear you there. I really uh, <laughs> would love to have a car like that too i always think of that uh 1980s uh tv show night rider <laughs> it's like i'd love to have a car like yeah. that yeah definitely okay so where are we at right now with the uh, development of uh, a car like that i guess that could be a question to both you and harry as well yeah, so I, I can jump in here, and then and then Renee can uh, add on. So where we are today is that the GM uh, has a test fleet of uh, over 50 vehicles, uh, and with the recent announcement, we're going to be taking that up to close to uh, 200 vehicles uh, very quickly here. Um, and we are testing uh, these vehicles on the public streets in San Francisco, California, Scottsdale, Arizona, and in the uh, Detroit, uh, Michigan area um, in proximity to some of our uh, facilities there. Um, and right now, these vehicles uh, have a person uh, behind the steering wheel uh, to take over in case the, the vehicle encounters a, a situation that uh, it, it is not uh, capable of, of dealing with. It also has another a GM technician in the vehicle who is taking notes on, on how the vehicle is performing, what it's doing well, what it's not doing well, where, where it needs to be tweaked, those kind of things. Uh, and so that, that test fleet is out on the road every day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And we are accumulating more and more experience uh, for the vehicles and the vehicles are learning how to deal with more and more situations as they encounter them. Our philosophy is that uh, it's best uh, to have uh, the test fleet in the real world and in, in, on public streets and roads because, frankly, the, the types of situations uh, that they encounter 
are not things that you can uh, think of uh, to run in simulations or anything like that. And so real world testing is, is absolutely essential uh, to the development, uh, continued development of the program. So that's, that's where we are today. Uh, what we see as our vision is uh, in, the, in the near term horizon, say sometime in the next uh, year or two, uh, that we would be able to make uh, these vehicles available to the public, but in controlled and limited uh, situations, uh, the, the technology will not be to a point yet where it can deal with, you know, anytime, anywhere of availability. So we see uh, the use of the vehicles in ride-sharing fleets um, in urban centers as kind of the next step of development, and as I said, we think that will happen uh, fairly quickly in the next year or two. And then um, that will uh, obviously uh, broaden uh, the experience we have and, and continue to develop uh, the vehicles. And then I think um, in the planning horizon, uh, what we will see is uh, purpose-built vehicles. Uh, today, our test vehicles are built on the Bolt uh, EV platform, which is a, an all-electric uh, vehicle. Uh, but it's a, a standard vehicle that, you know, we produce off of the, our assembly line in, in the, the Lake Orion, Michigan facility. And, uh, and our test fleet are, uh, is a specially modified version of that vehicle. But it's basically a conventional vehicle. As I mentioned, you know, there's a steering wheel. There are gauges and pedals and all of the things that you would normally recognized with a conventional vehicle. And there's a lot of additional equipment in it uh, as well that makes the vehicle a self-driving vehicle, but uh, you know, it looks like a conventional vehicle with a lot of additional stuff added onto it. I think what you'll see is that uh, as we continue to develop, um, vehicles will be more purpose-built with the, the design uh, being um, generated with the idea that the vehicle will be self-driving from the very beginning. And um, at that point, uh, we will start to talk about things like vehicles without uh, steering wheels or brake pedals or gauges, different uh, opportunities that brings for uh, interior design uh, and, uh, and other uh, characteristics uh, of the vehicle. Um, and so I think that is probably in the next uh, three to five years, the first iterations of that. And, and then, that then it will get broader and broader uh, from there. I think uh, our view of it is that uh, until we get to a point where uh, we feel that it's safe uh, to take the next step, um, uh, then we, uh, we keep each, each incremental step is, is limited by safety. Uh, safety is our top priority, so we're not going to uh, open these vehicles up to uh, the public until we are fully convinced that it's uh, safe to do so. Um, so we'll take that step when we, we have the data and the confidence to feel that it's safe. And then each step of the progression that I've just outlined is going to be um, taken with safety as our, our top priority. And so each step won't be taken until, you know, we're very confident that we can do so uh, in a safe way uh, for our customers and for the occupants of the vehicle and, and for the people that are on the road, sharing the road and, and, and the areas adjunct to the roads uh, with the vehicles. Excellent. So 
for anybody that wants to find out more information about these cars and where they are in development or have any questions of any kind regarding this, uh, where can they contact or go to look up uh, this information? Yeah, so um, our uh, General Motors uh, communications um, uh, department is, is responsible for all our, our uh, external uh, connections, and um, you know, I, I think that would probably be the, the greatest, the best place to start. Uh, you can, you know, there's uh, resources you can get to through the internet and, uh, and through the GM uh, internet site. Uh, but, uh, you know, if they have uh, specific questions uh, about uh, where we are in, in a particular state uh, with regard to policy or anything, they can contact uh, the folks at the American Council for the Blind, and uh, they know us and, and who to call, and we're happy to have those discussions. Excellent. Well, thank you for uh, being on here with me for this great uh, feature, and we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on uh, where where this development goes. It's really a great thing. And again, uh, unless there's anything else, I think uh, we've covered it. Thank right. you for having me. Thank you. Here is the agenda for Monday, July 3rd beginning in the Rose Ballroom at 8 a.m. Entertainment, Vicki Curley, Rotunda, West Florida. 8.30 a.m. Invocation, Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin. Pledge of Allegiance 2017 Scholarship Winners, 8.35 a.m. ACB Business, ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman. Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas. Diamond Sponsor Presentation, Renee Arrington Johnson, Senior Industrial Engineer of General Motors, GM, and Chair, GM's People with Disabilities Employee Resource Group, Lindhurst, Ohio. Emerald Sponsor Presentation, Sprint, Kelly Egan, Customer Relations Manager, Sprint, Blindness, Low Vision, Outreach, San Diego, California. Ruby Sponsor Presentation, VFO. Ron Miller, Hardware Product Manager, St. Petersburg, Florida. Ruby Sponsor Presentation, Humanware. Jim Sullivan, Regional Account Manager, Central USA, Hudson, Ohio. Nominating Committee Report, Mitch Pomerantz, Chair, Pasadena, California. Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair, Indianapolis, Indiana. Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. Presiding Officer, John McCann, ACB Second Vice President, Tucson, Arizona. 9.15 a.m., 2017 ACB Scholarship Presentations, Reverend Michael Garrett, Chair, Scholarship Committee, Missouri City, Texas. 10.15 a.m., break, 10.30 a.m., Structured Negotiations, An Attorney's Journey from Courtrooms to Client Settlements, Laney Feingold, author of Structured Negotiations, A Winning Alternative to Lawsuits, Berkeley, California. 10.55 a.m., New Strategic Destinations and Directions at the American Foundation for the Blind, Kirk Adams, 
President and CEO, New York, New York. 1120 AM, State of the Nation, Special Education Update, Residential Schools for the Blind, IDEA, Regulations, and the Status of Education for Students who are Blind, Dr. Sharon Sachs, Superintendent, California State School for the Blind, Fremont, California. 11.45 a.m., Ski for Light, 40 Years and Going Strong, Judy Dixon, Secretary, Ski for Light International, Arlington, Virginia, 11.55 a.m., Announcements. And that concludes the agenda for Monday, July 3rd. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, July 3rd. Got a new, did some modifications here to kind of improve the sound. So I think it's going to be better today. Swapped out cables as well as a audio board and kind of redid the way things are wired up here. Without further ado, I'll take you over to the house for the pre-entertainment. Let that finish up, and then Kim will get things underway at 8.30 Pacific Time, 9.30 Mountain, 10.30 Central, 11.30 Eastern. So we're glad you enjoyed the coverage so far, and I've got other things I need to tend to, so here's the pre-entertainment. Okay, hang on. Stand the way I feel about you, just how much I need you to be there where I can talk to you when there's no one else around. Follow me where I go, what I do, and who I know. Part of you to be a part of me. Follow me up and down all the way and all around. Take my hand and I will follow you. You see, I'd like to share my life with you, show you things I've seen, places where I'm going to, places where I've been, to have you there beside me, never be alone, and all the time you're with me we will be at home follow me where I go what I do and who I know take a part of you to be a part of me follow 
awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous mystery. Spend all your time waiting for that second chance. Hang on, folks. We're trying to sort the audio issue here. We just lost feed from the house. That has nothing to do with it because that, that, that part's good because that's 
taking everything out of that. Yeah. No, we, I'm not getting any audio either. There's no mics at all working. I know, I can't hear on mine either. I'm waiting for Rick to get back. Hang on, folks. Uh, Rick's uh, working some things. We're trying to get the because uh, all the all the PA speakers uh, went out here in the uh, ballroom, so it's not just you know on everything on the ACB radio side is fine. It's just we're trying to get the house speed back up.
testing. Would any scholarship winners please come up to the stage for presentations this morning? Scholarship winners to the podium. Yes, Rick. Go ahead. Thank you to our entertainer this morning. I believe that it is Vicki Curley from Redondo West, Florida. I hope I'm right. What a beautiful job. Thank you, Vicki. All right. I think we have an announcement from the AV team. Hello. Well, there we oh, go. There Sorry. I got stuck behind a wheelchair. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I understand. Uh, well, first, I want to apologize for anybody that had trouble with their assistive listening devices yesterday. Um, today, if your assistive listening device is not working, kindly come to the front of the room and go stage left and find one of us at the audiovisual table and we will make sure that your device is set properly. We had to retune for this room, and that may be what's causing your problem. So again, if you're using an ALD and having difficulty, kindly come to the front of the room, stage left to the audiovisual table, and we will correct it for you. Thanks. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. All right, I'd like to recognize for our morning invocation Sarah Conrad, member of the ACB Board of Directors. Sarah? Thank you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we've read in your word, Our Father, hallowed be your name. So we praise you for the opportunities we have here in ACB. Thank you, God. We've also read... Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we ask for your presence and guidance in this room today. We read, give us this day our daily bread. So we ask that you would give us just what we need for today in our work. We read, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we ask for your guidance in the right direction. Finally, we read, for yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. So we again honor and thank you 
for allowing us to be servants, working towards justice and access in your name. Amen. All right, would you please rise and join me and about 20 other ACB scholarship winners standing right behind me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. Thank you. You may be seated. <laughs> all right. Are you ready for the whirlwind? It's time to hear from Marjorie Beeman. <laughs> okay. Good morning. Is everybody awake? All right. That sounds good. Okay. We've got a bunch of sponsors again. Our double diamond sponsors, 25,000, AT&T, and they sponsored ACB Radio Streaming, Google, ACB Conference Banquet, Microsoft, ACB Radio Worldwide Broadcast, Banda Pharmaceutical, ACB Educational and Recreational Events, and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Give them a hand. Diamond Sponsors, 20,000. General Motors, Audiovisual Services. Give them a hand. Emerald Sponsors, Comcast, Volunteer Services, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company Performing Arts Showcase, and ACB Sparks of Enthusiasm Auction, Sprint, Information Desk, Uber, Communication Center and Newspaper, Verizon, Conference Registration. Give them a hand. Ruby sponsors 10,000. Adobe, ACB, Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, Audio Described Movie and Recreation Zone. Amazon, ACB Cafe. Humanware, Official Conference Program. Regal Cinema, Kids Explorer Club and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. BFO, Official Sponsor of All General Sessions. Give them a hand. Our next sponsor, 5,000, Charter Communications, ACB Life Member Reception, Facebook, International Culture Exchange Day, Macro Degeneration Foundation, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, and also they're sponsoring the um, Low Viz Guide Indoor Navigation System and App. National Association of Broadcasters, General Operating Support, National Industries for the Blind, ACB Marketplace, Fuel Fund, Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, and Recreation Zone. Give them a hand. Topaz Sponsors, 3,000. ACB Lines, Scholarship Student Travel, 
Give them a hand. Coral Sponsors 2000, Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, Scholarship Dinner and Luncheon for Outstanding Blind Students, Cox Communications Incorporated, Student, Future, ACB Leader, or Young Professionals, Sparks Therapeutic Incorporated, ACB Cafe Day, July 2nd, and Information Access Workshop, Track Phone, ACB Cafe, July 3, an advocacy training workshop, and DQ Systems Incorporated. Give them a hand. <laughs> Pearl Sponsors, Disability Relations Group, ACB Cafe Day, July the 4th. Discover Technologies Affiliate and Chapter Development Seminar, HIMS Incorporated, Luncheon to recognize outstanding blind students. Library Users of America, NLS Talking Book Narrator. Bomb USA, ACB Cafe Day, July the 5th. Give them a hand. This concludes the sponsors, Madam President. Thank you. All right, we're going to hear from a few of our sponsors this morning. Um, first, our diamond sponsor presentation. Renee, are you here? Okay. So we have a, a new sponsor this year in General Motors. Um, we're all very interested in what's coming in the future, and so is General Motors. And I want to recognize to tell us just a little bit more about that. Renee Arrington Johnson, she is the Senior Industrial Engineer for General Motors and Chair of GM's People with Disabilities Employee Resource Group. She's from Lyndhurst, Ohio. Renee? Thank you for coming. Hi. Thank you. All right, that's good. All right, good morning, everyone. I am really excited to be here. This is the first conference of ACB that I've ever attended, and everyone has been very welcoming and very helpful, so I really appreciate all that. Um, I'm here to talk a little bit about autonomous vehicles and how it's going to benefit people who are blind and have low vision. And I want to explain to you why you know, of course, I'm going to champion GM 40 years of a General Motors employer right here. And actually, I effectively retired for GM after 40 years just Saturday morning, July 1st. Yeah. And I, I got to put in this one plug. I was hired in 1977 into General Motors, and they knew I had a vision problem when they hired me. And that was 13 years before the ADA. So... Um, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit about me. I'm a graduate of General Motors Institute, which is now Kettering University. Um, 40 years with GM, I've worked in three different states, Ohio, um, New York, and most recently, Michigan, and, and just retired and moved back to Ohio, which is my home state. Um, in the years that I've been with General Motors, I've seen a lot of changes. Um, inclusiveness has 
gone way, way high, and, and they've seen the, not only the value, but also the responsibility part of it. Uh, we have at GM 12 different employee resource groups, of which the People with Disabilities group, which we've just changed the name to GM ABLE, and I was the chair of that for, 11, for the last 11 years, just now stepping down from that when I retired. Um, we've been in, in um, existence since 1993. So we're one of the longest standing employee resource groups there. And we've had a lot of involvement in looking at what happens at General Motors. And a lot of things that you expect that people traditionally think of when they think of a person with disability, you know, there was a program once called called not just ramps because there's a lot more than just ramps when you come to disabilities but um, we've had a lot of impact on the buildings and um, things that are available to us at the company but even product we've had involvement in product for quite some time first it was more like well what can we do for people that are in wheelchairs how can we make vehicles accessible how can we work with people with upfitters we've looked at OnStar and how to make it more accessible for people who are hard of hearing uh, but more recently, what's come to light is, you know, as, as we move towards autonomous vehicles, who are we going to be marketing to with autonomous vehicles? And I had the opportunity to present in front of our executive leadership team and our CEO, Mary Barra, um, about three years ago. And that was one of the key points that I made was, I'm a person who's legally blind. I work for a car company. And I really would like to sell a car to somebody who's legally blind. That's, <laughs> I'd want to market to someone who's legally blind. In my 40 years at General Motors, we've had all kinds of clinics to cater to women, to cater to African-American, to cater to people who are Hispanic, to cater to the LGBTQ community. But now, our opportunity as people who are legally blind or have low vision is right here, right now, to put our input into what we want to be able to have our own independent transportation. So what we've been doing, what we've been doing is um, using our employee resource group as a resource to our product designers, to the people who are gonna design the apps, to everything that's gonna impact. So we've, we've taken a deep dive into the day in the life of a person who is legally blind or has low vision. And I can give you an example because I was one of the people they use. Um, we've, we've done what they call personas, which is kind of like, what does this person look for? You know, what is your day? What are things that are important to you? Where do you shop? How do you get around? We did the light versions at first, but now the deep dive has started. The deep dive means I sat for four hours, people came to my house front that there was a professional interviewer, a videographer, people from product design, advanced vehicle development, people from our IT organization, and they interviewed me and recorded me, and I wasn't the only one they did, for four hours. What do you do when you're getting ready for work? How do you get to work? Let's do a, let's do a drive to see how you go and what happens and what you do and record it. What do you want to know when you're getting in a car? When you're getting so... We talked a lot yesterday, and I'll interrupt myself. Yesterday there was a discussion about autonomous vehicles and about safety and about knowing that the car is there for you and stuff like that. These are questions that we've been addressing. These are things that as our group we're saying, this is what we need for this vehicle to work for this market of people that you have not tapped into yet that want to be able to be tapped into. So 
when I, when I want to order a vehicle, I want to be able to order the vehicle and just speak and say, I want a vehicle to pick me up at my address and I want to go to this location. When the vehicle comes, I want to make sure that vehicle is the one that's for me and I, that I'm getting into the right vehicle. Okay. When I get into the vehicle, I want the vehicle to have room for my dog and all of my possessions. When I'm traveling in the vehicle, what do you want to know? I want to know where I am. We stopped. Where are we right now? Um, do, I want to know what route you're taking. I want to know when I get there, is there, is there any barrier in front of me? And when I get to a location, say a mall, and I want to go to uh, the salon in there and get a manicure or pedicure, I want to know which way to get there and what door do I have to go through and do I turn right or left? All that detail is part of what is going to be important in the vehicle of the future, in the autonomous vehicle, and for people, not just people with low vision, but if you, if, or who are blind, but even if you aren't, if you, you're in a vehicle for a while and say you closed your eyes and took a nap, you woke up and you were like, where am I? You should be able, to, the car should be able to tell you that. And these are all discussions that we've had with our designers of future product. And one thing that really gives General Motors an edge in this realm is that we've had OnStar for years. We already have a connected vehicle. We already have a built-in system to call if you run into a problem. We already have that safe and secure system with OnStar. So that actually gives us a leg up on providing the feedback that you need to the person who's going to be transported in the vehicle. So, and... I would like to mention one other thing, because there's, there's so many little things that we've been involved in. It's been like a snowball, and I'm, I'm almost like regretting that I'm retiring right now, because there's, there's so many interesting things going on. We just had a, a beta test of an auto refueling. It's like instead of having to go somewhere and pump gas, it's a refueling service that comes to your vehicle and fuels your vehicle for you. It's, I mean, there's so many things, and, and the thing that's funny is we didn't even know GM was working on this as the, our employee resource group, the people with disabilities group. They came to us and said, hey, we know about your group. We want your group to beta test it. And so the thing that's happening that is the, the greatest thing to me is the culture shift at General Motors. I mean, in general, I've worked with great people throughout the years. But a lot of people just aren't aware. The, the thing that's really great that's happening right now is that people are more willing to listen, more willing to admit what they don't know, and more willing to ask questions. I had an engineer that I've known for years, and she's, she's known me, and she knows I'm legally blind, and she's like, Renee, I want to get with your group and asked them some questions. And later on, she got back to me, and she's like, you know, I am ashamed to say that I never even knew that blind people used apps. But, and I know, I had to laugh. And, and she's a very intelligent woman, great friend of mine. I, I said, but it's just, you know, the awareness, the fact that she was willing to admit that to me is like, wow, big step forward there. <laughs> and the fact that she's willing to learn and understand so I, that culture shift is a great thing. I mean, we all know that the autonomous vehicle is going to help with safety and because most driver errors are what's caused a lot of accidents, majority of accidents. We all know about all that. But 
the independence that it's going to give to the people who are legally blind, I mean, that's, you know, not having a driver's license, not being able to drive a car. I mean, I did that for a while, and giving it up was one of the hardest things I did, uh, other than raising my 20-year-old son. But, um, but other than that, that, you know, that's probably one of the hardest things I had, I, that I had to do was giving up my license, but it, I knew it was the right thing to do. And I told one of our policy folks and some of our design engineers, I said, you know, I always had hope that I'd get my independence back through medicine and the technology, that that's what would give me back my independence. Maybe somebody would find a cure for retinitis pigmentosa. Any RPers out there? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe somebody come with a cure for that with medicine through gene therapy or something like that, or maybe technology, they'll create an artificial retina. Who knows? But the honest fact is I'll probably independently go somewhere in a vehicle that's an autonomous vehicle before medicine and, and that will catch up to be able to cure my vision. That's going to come first. And that's where my hope lies right now. And I would say to you, um, I would like to come back from this conference. I, we have done the deep dive, but if you think there's something that maybe we're not thinking about that's going to be a feature that's going to help a person who's blind or has low vision, come see me and tell me. I'll take it back to our design engineers and say, hey, this is the feedback I got back from the conference. These are things that should be considered when we're designing our vehicles because we do want to serve our customer, and you are our customer of the future. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I think we have a new friend and ally in Renee. Thank you so much for your work and your distinguished career at GM. And we hope to have you back to ACB. Our Emerald sponsor presentation this morning is from Sprint. And I'm going to welcome to the podium. Um, no stranger to ACB. She's been here for the last several years. Kelly Egan, who's customer relations manager for Sprint and the Blind Low Vision Outreach Group. She hails from San Diego, California. Kelly, and she can introduce her colleague. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There you are. Almost there. Almost there. There you okay. go. Whoops, there we are. <laughs> Almost fell right into it. Let's see, where are you? Hi there. It's great to be up here talking to you all again. Um, Sprint is really proud and honored to be an Emerald sponsor once again. And uh, we love, I love coming here. And my dog Hope loves coming here, sort of. Um, and uh, I today have also an assistant with me who's sighted. And her name is Ava Bustamante. And she's very helpful. <laughs> so she's going to help me with my first the way I love to open conversations is with a very scientific uh, survey. So would you please raise your hands if you, she's going to count, um, would you please raise your hands if you're Android users? What percentage, Ava? I would say maybe, maybe like 5, 10%. 5 or 10% we're saying. Okay. How about flip phone users? Okay, now we've got another 15 to 20%. So maybe we're around 30, 35%. How many iPhone users? 
that's what I keep telling them at Sprint, that we only need to carry that. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, anyway, thank you uh, for that. I appreciate it. So I just wanted to let you know a little bit about my role at Sprint is to really manage and run uh, our division that focuses on working with people who are blind and low vision and also making sure that we support the overall group I'm in, which is called Sprint Accessibility. So my job description isn't very hard. It is work to do whatever you can to make Sprint the wireless provider of choice to the blind and low vision community. Okay, simple and yet very difficult to execute. So if I can't do it without your help, there's just no way I can do it without your help. So how I could use your help is for you to let me know what we're doing well, what we could be doing better, and what you'd like to see from Sprint. And I can take that information back and make sure that we're doing our best to integrate that into um, our plans. So it's, it's fun. I'm excited that we're um, expanding our uh, Sprint Vision group. So for those of you who have any ideas that you'd like to be part-time employed as a contractor, we need more of me around the country. So come by and talk to me. Um, that, sorry, the other thing is that we've been doing this year, which is really fun, and I'm going to try and play a video for you, is I went to Rochester, New York, and worked with their visually impaired um, blind center there, I suppose it's called, and we used the blind people in that center as actors for a few little videos to talk about um, their iPhones or their mobile phone, their whichever phone they have, and um, Sprint. So I'm going to see if we can play this for you. Uh, we're going to give it a try. If not, you can find it on YouTube. So. Sprint accessibility logo on a white background. Kelly Egan, Sprint Vision Customer Relations. Hi, I'm Kelly Egan with Sprint Vision, and this is my guide dog, Hope. We're here to share another story about Sprint's commitment to providing solutions so that everyone can stay in touch. A blind man gets into a car and talks with his friend, Walter Chapman. I've been with Sprint for over 14 years now, and I'd say it's a pretty cool relationship. I'm a husband, I'm a father, a lover of people, and also I'm the lead guitarist for my band, The Walter Chapman Experience. Walter walking in a park with a friend, both carrying guitars. I'm not the type of guy that would like to sit at home because the four walls just close in on me. So I'm a person that likes to be on the go, regardless of what my visual status is. So that's why I need the smartphone in my life. They meet another friend and play guitar together. Sprint Vision provides services to people who are blind or have low vision. We have resources, tips, and tricks to make your smartphone work even better for the way you live. It's cool that Sprint gets it. It's totally cool. Collage of Sprint Vision users and devices. Sprint Vision works with manufacturers and the blind and low vision community to deliver user-friendly, accessible wireless devices. Sprint Vision is here for you. Learn more about Sprint Vision devices at sprint.com vision.
Thank you. I am so proud of that. And there's three more with different people, men and women, in various environments, their work environment at a tea shop, you know, people just doing their thing and talking about it. And they're all blind or low vision. And, you know, it, it'd be great if it sells more Sprint. That's wonderful. But I think what's even more important is um, a little bit to um, what Renee was saying, is building um, recognition and what we do and what we need and who we are and how we operate. And anyway, I think um, we're ready to move forward and uh, continue to grow and bring more value every day to, to you all. So I want to thank you. Please come by our booth. We're at uh, booth 17. We can, we'd love to help you set up your phones. We have a wireless um, representative there. We bring the Sprint store to the shows here so that you don't have to go to the store yourself. So we can set you up. Because who wants to do that, really? Um, so we can set you up and get you going. And um, we do have a session this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Yeah, no, tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock. And that is tips and tricks. And it's sort of a community event where everybody can participate and share what they know and what they don't know. And we'll try and get even smarter on smartphones. So thank you all very much and have a great day. Thank you. All right, our first Ruby sponsor this morning that we're going to hear from is VFO. And speaking on behalf of VFO is Ron Miller, the hardware product manager for VFO in St. Petersburg, Florida. Ron? Good morning, 2017 National Convention attendees. Are you guys excited to be here? Me too. Madam President, affiliate presidents, board members, general attendees like me, I am so honored to be here. Uh, if you would have told me that I would be able to, to stand and to address all of you, when I was a, a blind kid, a blind teenager, a blind college student, I, it would have been pretty inconceivable for me. Um, obviously, I'm here to talk about VFO Group and the things that we are showing and doing. I'll tell you right up front. We're at booth numbers 36 through 40. And you heard from Richard Tapping yesterday. Were a lot of you guys here for that? Okay. So Richard's told you a lot of this stuff already, but I want to share a little bit of, of me and my heart. If I, can I do that? Okay, can we get a little bit personal? <laughs> so we are assembled here as a group of diverse people, all kinds of attitudes, all kinds of opinions, all kinds of agendas. There are things we disagree on. There are things we don't see eye to eye on. There are, you know, we're a diverse group, right? But... There are some things that we pull together on. We disagree agreeably. We agree to disagree agreeably. 
But you know what? We have one thing that binds us all together. What is that? No! It's not blindness and low vision. It's our, it's our desire to see betterment for people who are low vision or blind. That's what binds us together, right? Okay? Benjamin Franklin said a long time ago, we must hang together or we shall surely all hang separately. Okay? So, oh, is it Patrick Henry? Ooh, pardon me and my apologies to Patrick Henry and to Benjamin Franklin. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you can tell it. You were a history major? Oh, I should have asked you. Okay. So it was Patrick Henry. Now, everybody listening to this anywhere is going to know Ron Miller just messed up his historical quote. But the sentiment is true. We've got to hang together in the blindness community. Now, we're not all going to hang separately. I'm glad about that. But we won't get nearly as much done, will we? Okay. My passion, my consuming passion, and the guys and gals at Freedom Scientific are subjected to it quite a bit because I'm a hardware product manager, is Braille and Braille literacy. Okay? And that means one of my passions is literacy in general. Okay? Because if you can't read, you can't read, can you? Okay? Last year was the year of Braille, right? But I want to propose that the year of Braille can't just be the year of Braille. I hope this is the generation of Braille. Okay? For the student division, guys and gals that are here, I know you're using speech. I use speech. Stuff talks. Everything talks. Microwave talks. Stuff talks. In other countries, I am told that beer vending machines talk, okay, in Japan and stuff. Um, I don't know if I necessarily need that in my life. And speech is great. Speech is very great. But Braille is essential because literacy is essential for success, especially in a real big buzzword right now, STEM, science, technology. What's the E? Education, the M, math. I was talking to Betsy Doan last night, and we were, we were talking about, you know, she, the lady is a mathonaut. I didn't know Betsy was a mathonaut. I am way, I'm way impressed. But to do big math like I'm not able to do, you need to be able to see the equations and work through the equations. How are you going to do that with speech? Try doing something as simple as a quadratic equation just with speech. You guys can do it maybe. It just sort of makes me go into a fog, right? ACB has a long history in Braille support. The Braille Revival League has been around for a long time. I'm not sure when that started, okay, but a long time ago. How long? 1980. But do we really want Braille to just revive? No, we want it to thrive, okay? So one of the opportunities and one of the privileges I get as hardware product manager with VFO is to impact Braille stuff whether it's Braille support in JAWS or even more near and dear to me and my job, developing Braille products. This year, I'm really excited to tell you about uh, two, I can't say it, two significant additions of two Braille-centric tools. Okay? And I hope you'll come down because I want to show them to you. First is the L Braille. I've been talking about it for a while. Come get your hands on it. The next one is the new Focus 40 Blue. It's the fifth generation focus Braille display, okay? L Braille brings Braille accessibility 
uh, Braille accessible note takers to the computing mainstream. It's the evol evolutional kind of next step. It's an awesome productivity tool. Why? Because you're in the mainstream, it runs Windows 10. Uh, not, it doesn't just run Windows 10 on top of something else. It's a Windows 10 computer dressed up like a Braille note taker, literally. So you interface directly with Windows using JAWS, in this case, JAWS 18. If you need productivity tools, you load whatever apps you want to accomplish the tasks you need. For me, this means I'm using Office 365 all the time. I'm reading my notes in Word, okay? School, work life, home life. Grab what you need just like you would on any other Windows computer. Have the connectivity you would on any other Windows computer, okay? Um, I'm not going to get really deeply into belaboring this. Come see it, okay? The other cool thing is as JAWS and Windows are updated, your L Braille's updated. Focus 40 Blue, fifth generation Focus Braille display. I'm excited about this. Come check it out. Come get your hands on it. We've got, I believe, three of them there for you to get your digits on. It's made to be even more robust than ever before. Okay? We're drop testing these things and doing other things. To, we're, we're being mean to them. <laughs> and they're taking it. Okay? All metal housing and under chassis. It's aluminum and steel. We've just totally uh, redesigned the Braille cells, literally. So they're more rugged. They're more physically and electrically uh, hardened against impacts. Because you're carrying these things around over your shoulders. You're dropping them into your backpacks. Um, I hear from customers who accidentally get them snagged, get the strap snagged on something, and they're pulled off of tables and dropped onto the floor and stuff. And as a product manager, I kind of go, ooh, <laughs> when I hear that. But you know what? That's what's happening in the real world. Your stuff has to kind of be able to survive life, right? Got some new features you're going to see, a clock, a calendar, basic note-taking, um, being able to read Braille-formatted books, okay? Uh, even better operability with your portable devices, um, specifically, it'll be able to wake up your iOS or your Android device, so you don't have to fool around with powering up the, uh, the, 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 your Braille display and then powering up your portable device, and then it wakes up your Braille display. You guys have done that, right? Okay. So now you can have your Braille display wake up your phone or your tablet or whatever's going on. Okay. So I really appreciate your time. Again, I'm in, we're in booths 28, sorry, 36 through 40. Um, I know Richard told you about our hardware and software specials. It's 20% off of hardware. So for a Focus 14 Blue right now, it would pull the price down to $7.95. For the basic L Braille, the docking station for the L Braille 14, which is on sale right now, it would pull it down to $1,436. We've got JAWS specials, open book specials, a lot of things that we'd like to tell you about. Come and see us, please, booth 36-40, and enjoy, enjoy the convention. Thanks. You betcha. Oh, yeah, there you are. Thank you. Can I get a handoff from somebody? Yeah. Over to the yeah. left. All right. All right. Our um, final sponsor presentation this morning, Ruby sponsor, is Humanware, and we're going to hear from Jim Sullivan, Regional Account Manager, Central USA, and he's from Hudson, Ohio. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Kim. Can everybody? Oh, I guess lots closer, huh? Is that better? You guys hear me? 
Hey, uh, my name is Jim Sullivan, as Kim pointed out, and I am from Hudson, Ohio, and uh, along with my fellow HumanWare members, it is great to be here in Sparks, Nevada, and we are excited once again about being a Ruby sponsor for the conference. I've had a great time the last couple of days down in the exhibit hall. I've seen some of my fellow Ohioans, Tom Tobin, Jill Noble, Katie Fedrick, great folks that I've worked with over the course of the last 18 years of my career, and I hear that Renee is also a fellow Ohioan, OH. All right, OHIO is right. I know you guys are gonna focus on the students here in a moment, but I've had a chance to meet a few of the students over the course of the last couple of days. How about if we give the students a big round of applause? Come on, louder, let's hear it. So this morning, I'd like to, to, to do three things. The first is I'd like to tell you a little story about humanware. I'd like to tell you what we've been up to for the last year. And then finally, I'd like to give you reason to come visit us in the exhibit hall. Would that be okay? All right. So ACB members, did you know? Did you know? No? No? Did you know the humanware was founded in Grass Valley, California? Some 29 years ago. Where are Californians? Woo! Grass Valley is about 92 miles west of here. And Jim Halliday and Rick Plesha, a couple of names that some of you are familiar with, formed Humanware from the Sensory AIDS Corporation. Now, as they were getting together and as Jim was describing to Rick what the Sensory AIDS Corporation did, Rick commented to Jim, hey, that sounds like humanware. Doesn't sound like software. Doesn't sound like hardware. It sounds like software. And that's where the name humanware came from. In fact, our original logo was a pair of hands cupping and holding a pyramid. So if you all right now took your hands and held them out in front of you, come on. I, don't, I see a few of you doing this. I don't see everybody doing it. Come on, let's play the reindeer games. <laughs> If you have those hands in front of you and you have a, a pyramid there, the hands were to represent the human part of what it is that we did. And the pyramid represented the technology. And together, they formed the word humanware. Now, the idea at the beginning and still to this day was to create technology that was so simple, so intuitive, and so powerful that it became a part of the fabric of who you were. So, a part of the fabric of who you are. Does that sound like anything that you use on a daily basis? Yeah? At our user groups, we have heard many of you praise the Victor Reader stream. Yeah. Woo! In fact, myself, Dominic Gagliano, Mike Tyndall, at our user groups have often heard you say that each and every night you take who off to bed with you? Yeah, Victor, that's right. Victor Reader Stream, humanware. Victor Reader Stream, a part of the fabric of who you are. So, if you did not know the origins of the name of the first organization serving folks who are blind or visually impaired to bear the word human in its name, now you know. And... As Paul Harvey would say, you guys, you guys need to get in unison out there. Yeah. Right. Very good. So where are we now? Where are we now? 
Uh, last year, Dominic Gagliano, one gritty uh, individual who has persevered and has been very passionate about this, uh, this uh, industry, excuse me, stood before you and told you a little bit of what we were up to. He emphasized last year that humanware was on a mission to blend mainstream technology with assistive technology. He highlighted the success in the introduction of the BrailleNote Touch, the first Google-certified Braille tablet for individuals who are Braille readers. He pointed out the success of the Prodigy Connect 12, again, another low-vision device that, that brought together both mainstream and assistive technology for individuals with low vision. And finally, Dominic took some time to outline our partnership with Essilar, our investor and partner uh, who are there to enable our team members to continue to pursue the development of, again, what we'd like to call humanware. So what have we been up to for the last 12 months? What have folks like Mike Tyndall and Peter Tusick and Greg Stilson and Gilles Papan, what have they been doing? Well, as of last month, we began to ship version 2 of Prodigy Connect 12. We hope you'll come down and take a look at it. The device features a new stand, a new tablet, improved camera, improved optical character recognition, all at the same time blending some of that mainstream technology. Prodigy Connect 12, humanware. Over the course of the last 12 months, we've introduced three updates to the Braille Note Touch, and a fourth one is on the, around, the, around the bend. We are too committed to Braille. We are committed to STEM. And one of the things in that update over the course of the last year for the Braille Note Touch was key math crucial for enabling students to do what they need to do in the classroom each and every day in the areas of mathematics. We've improved our support for third-party apps, enabling folks like you to make your way out to the Google Play Store and pull down Amazon apps so you can shop till your hearts are content. We've added languages, we've improved tools like Keyword, and with our partnership with Google and Greg Stilson's frequent trips to California, we are poised to take that product well into the future, enabling you, passionate, gritty folks, to do what it is that you love to do best, all with access to Braille. I'd like to read a quote to you from one of uh, our thousands of BrailleNote Touch users. The quote goes like this, I love the BrailleNote beyond words, but to be frank, that's rooted in the fact that I love Braille. Reading and writing, and in my humble opinion, the Braille Note is the easiest the piece of technology for a true Braille person. This comes from Caitlin Hernandez, a resident and teacher in San Francisco, California. How about SLR? What has SLR been up to? Well, if any of you have read the Wall Street Journal over the course of the last year, you'll know that SLR, back in January, announced a merger with Luxottica. Now, last year, Dominic told you that SLR was a $7 billion company with over 60,000 employees. Their mission, improving life by improving sight, and a commitment to serving people with visual impairments and blindness. When the merger is complete, SLR Lusatica will be an organization with better than 140,000 employees, and annual yearly revenues in excess of $15 billion. As a partner of SLR Lusatica, Humanware is positioned to continue on with the mission of creating intuitive, powerful solutions 
for gritty, passionate persons such as all of you. So where are we now, continuing forward with product development? Here at ACB 2017, many of you have had a chance to take a look at the Brilliant 14. The Brilliant 14 is a 14-cell Braille display that has gone under the $1,000 barrier, priced at $995. It's ideal for connecting to your smartphone or tablet for Braille input and output. It also features internal note-taking as well as a stopwatch. But what truly sets this device apart is Brilliant Sync. If all of you right now went out to the App Store, you could download Brilliant Sync now. What that tool will allow you to be able to do is synchronize the notes on your Brilliant 14 with your email accounts. Whether you use Google or Exchange, you'll be able to easily move notes on that device between other devices that you use on a daily basis. Brilliant 14, humanware. How about the Victor Trek? How many of you had a chance to take a look at the Victor Trek? Well, we need more, lots more claps out there. You guys got to come see us. <laughs> the Victor Trek combines the book and media playback that you love in the Victor Stream with navigation and guidance found in the Trekker Breeze. All right, so picture yourself. You're on your way to convention here. You're driving in the car, and you've got your Victor Trek in your lap. With one press of a button, you can move from that podcast that you're listening to and dial into how fast your son, your daughter, or your significant other is driving. <laughs> then you can find the closest Starbucks and tell them how to get there. Once you've got your Costa latte and you're back in the car, press of one button, you're back into your podcast, and you can remind your son, daughter, or significant other to slow down. Victor Trek, humanware. So as I wrap up my comments, I'd like to quote from Angela Duckworth. She wrote, Grit, the power of passion and perseverance. Angela writes, to be gritty is to put one foot in front of the other. To be gritty is to hold fast to an interesting and purposeful goal. To be gritty is to invest day after week after year in challenging practice. To be gritty is to fall down seven times and get up eight. Does that sound like any of you? Sounds a lot like the folks that I've worked with and for over the course of my 18 years with Humanware. So here at Humanware, we are proud to be uh, providing three Victor Reader streams, two Explore Fives, and one Brilliant 32 for your auction. And if you come down and visit us, we'll take $70 off of a Victor Reader stream, and you can take that with you. We'll take $150 off an Explore 5, and you can take that with you as well. We'll take $100 off of the Brilliant 14 and the Victor Trek. So come down and see us. Uh, the, the, the Victor Trek is $699. So last but not least, when you come to see us, We'll introduce you to some gritty folks that I've worked with for a good number of years. From Concord, California, we've got Gabe Griffith, who's a part of our technical support staff. From Corvallis, Oregon, we have Beck McDonough, who's a part of our inside sales staff. All the way from Baltimore, Maryland, we have Mike Tyndall, one of our product specialists. And last but not least, now calling Scottsdale, Arizona home, our vice president of sales, Dominic Gagliano. Thank you very much.
All right, I'm going to recognize Ray Campbell while Mitch Pomerantz makes his way to the podium. <laughs> Thank you, Madam President. Good morning, everyone. I just have a couple, I have one affiliate change, and if somebody from the attorneys can get to a mic, I may have a second. Um, ACB government employees, I talked to their president, Renee Zellickson, last evening. Um, due to some issues, uh, the person they had originally reported as their alternate delegate will not be able to serve, so they will not have an alternate delegate. Is that correct, Renee? She's out, maybe she's not out, but uh, yeah, that's what uh, she told me. So they will not have, ACBGE will not have an alternate delegate. <clears throat> now for the attorneys, um, I haven't gotten to Charles Navarrete's message yet, so can somebody just come and tell me what it is that uh, yes. you wanted to let me know? Hmm. Any attorneys out there? Or are they all consulting? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get that one. We'll get, okay, okay, go ahead, get up there, move on to the mic there, Chris. Okay. That way. Yes, the, uh, the attorney's alternate delegate will be Ellen Telker. Okay, Ellen <laughs> Telker is the alternate. Thank you. Yep, that's it. Thank you. Good morning. The uh, nominating committee met last evening. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we had a total of 61 eligible affiliates who could have sent a representative to our meeting. Um, unfortunately, only 56 were there. Five affiliates uh, were absent. And I believe that folks from the affiliates who were absent have a need to know. So, the affiliates that were not in attendance were Iowa Council of the United Blind, Montana Blind and Low Vision Council, Wyoming Council of the Blind, Blind LGBT Pride, and Randolph Shepard Vendors of America. In at least one case, um, the representative was in the room, uh, decided to leave, uh, it was suggested that perhaps that wasn't such a good idea because uh, we closed and locked the door at 545 sharp. So we're serious. It has been our practice for longer than I've been a member of ACB, and that's getting to be quite a long time, that we start that meeting on time, we lock the door, and we expect you to be there. So now the results of last night's committee meeting. For President of the American Council of the Blind, the nominee would be Kim Charlson from Massachusetts. She is the Executive Director, Perkins Library, and she would be beginning her third term. For First Vice President, Dan Spoon, from Florida, he is a retired project manager for Siemens Corporation, and if elected, he would be beginning his first term. Second Vice President, John McCann, now residing in Arizona, 
He is a retired attorney with the Social Security Administration, and he would be commencing his third, second term, excuse me, thank you. He's right here. It just seems longer, John. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's usually, given what I do, I get to tell attorneys what they ought to do. Now I'm being told by an attorney. Secretary Ray Campbell from Illinois. Ray is an accessibility analyst with United Airlines, and he is, uh, would be beginning his third term. Treasurer David Trott from Alabama. He is retired services development coordinator with the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind, and he would be beginning his first term as treasurer. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the report of the ACB Nominating Committee for 2017. Thank you, Mitch, and the members of the committee. Um, the report has been presented to the membership. Is there a motion to accept this report? You'll hear it again on Thursday. So moved. Are there seconds? Hearing numerous seconds. All those in favor of accepting the report of the nominating committee say aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. And Mitch will be back on Thursday morning to uh, refresh our memories on the content of the report. Thank you, Mitch. All right, I'd like to quickly call upon John Huffman if he has a short constitutional amendment, which I think he did, or bylaw, excuse me. You can, you, um, we're gonna move the table mic to you, John, so you don't need to move. We will not have any resolutions today. Good morning, ACB, once Mark again. Okay. First, I would like to um, tell you what we're doing here. Uh, it's something that we feel we need to repeat every year, even though the procedure doesn't change. That is that um, any amendments that we read today are being read for the first time. It will be read but there will be no discussion today. They will, come back on, they will come back on another day for second reading, and that is the point at which they become, they come, to the, they come before the body for debate and decision. Uh, I should also share with you that uh, we do have a limited number of Braille and print copies uh, of the proposed amendments that you will hear. They're available from the information desk, or as an alternative, you can take a uh, uh, thumb drive or similar device and download them uh, at the information desk so that you have them electronically. Um, and just to tell you the status of what we will be dealing with, there were five amendments uh, presented the Constitution and bylaws in a timely fashion. 
during debate and deliberation within the Constitution and Bylaws Committee, decisions were made to withdraw two of those. Um, they are all, but all the proposals uh, affected bylaws so that when they come before you for decision, they will, will require um, only a simple majority vote to pass. All right, I will read the first one, and it is short. It takes up about half of a braille sheet of paper. Uh, this proposal, which I will arbitrarily label it as Proposal 2017-3, although it reads 2017-4, uh, affects Bylaw 3, Section A, and the purpose of the amendment is to revise the first sentence of that bylaw in order to change the annual dues for members at large from $5 a year to $10 a year. The current language reads as follows. Section A. Dues for annual members at large shall be $5 a year. And the change is real straightforward. Uh, if it's adopted, the bylaw will then read, dues for annual members at large shall be $10 a year. And that concludes the reading. The others I have, I may just turn my mic off. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and that concludes the reading of the first bylaw we, amendment. We will uh, have some others to, uh, to present. And for the committee members themselves, as we have no other um, proposals to consider at this time and the deadline having passed, we will not hold a Constitution and Bylaws Committee meeting this afternoon as was printed in the schedule. Thank you. John. Hello. I'm on the mic. Am I back? Okay. All right. I am going to, um, to recognize our presiding officer of the day to carry on with our program. And it's my pleasure to introduce to you ACB Second Vice President John McCann from Tucson, Arizona. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for that warm welcome. I understand that the first order of business is uh, the presentation of the scholarship winners. I'm sure these are wonderful individuals. We're going to hear a lot about them. Uh, and the person who will be speaking to you about that in greater detail is Michael Garrett. Truly great individual. He served on the board from uh, 08 to uh, 16, but he still does uh, Incredible service to the organization. He's uh, with ACBES and, as I say, the scholarship committee, which I dare say takes quite a, a bit of his time. And uh, I had the pleasure of, of seeing him on many occasions, even basically in uh, almost in his backyard when I was in Texas. Uh, uh, the invitation of uh, the gentle lady from Kingwood, uh, and. Uh, I was uh, I had the pleasure of attending his local chapter in uh, the first Sunday of, I guess it was what, the 5th of March. So without further ado, I commend you to Mr. Michael Garrett, who will present the class of scholarship winners for 2017. Good morning, ACB. 
Each year, I say the same thing, that this is one of the highlights of my attendance at this convention. And I say it because you get a chance to meet another group of wonderful scholarship winners. And this year, I believe, will be no exception. But as is our custom for the past several years, before I introduce to you the ACB scholarship winners, we have shared this time to honor the CCLVI scholarship winners. So, good, good. So, to present those scholarships, I want to introduce to you their scholarship chair, Ms. Lindsay Tilden. Good morning. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm very excited to be able to introduce to you this morning all three of our Council of Citizens with Low Vision International Fred Scheigert Scholarship winners. First, I have a few people to thank. Uh, thank you to Fred Scheigert, who generously provides our scholarships and for our winners to attend convention, in addition to serving on the committee. Thank you to Kathy Farina, Jimmy Rock, Sarita Kimball, Bianca Knight, Brian Petrates, and Richard Retta for serving on the committee this year. Thank you to Leslie Spoon, our CCLVI president, for all of her support. And as we discovered a couple years ago, it's really hard to collect scholarship applications without a website. So thank you to Robert Spangler and Jim Urak for their work on the website and application this year. All right, so our freshman scholarship winner this year is Sasha Samua from Milford, Connecticut. Sasha has been extensively involved with student government on her school's diving team and on the debate team. Sasha shared that her struggles with vision have strengthened her resolve to advocate for other people with disabilities. She will be attending George Washington University in the fall studying business marketing. Hi everyone, I'm Sasha Somwa. Um, I just wanted to come up and say a few words just to say thank you to the CCLVI whole organization. Um, they do a lot of work for the blind and visually impaired. I'm a visually impaired student. And um, without the organization, not just the scholarship, there's so much that I wouldn't be able to do. This whole conference has given me so much and taught me so much about advocacy, support, and just like mobility and structure for the future. So I just learned so much, and I'm so appreciative of everything I've learned and everything this whole organization has given me. Thank you. All right. Our undergraduate recipient this year uh, is Cassandra Mendez. Her name may be familiar. She's been involved with ACB students for the last two years and was a Ross Pangier Scholarship recipient in 2015. She's from Dayton, Ohio, and attends the Ohio State University 
studying computer science and engineering with a minor in math. And she plans to go into the development of assistive technology. Uh, Cassandra is currently involved with her school and church choir. Here's Cassandra. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much um, for the opportunity. Thank you for um, the CCLVI and the Shigert family for um, really just believing in all of us scholarship recipients. I don't think that we would be here if someone didn't think what we were doing was valuable. And I appreciate the support. Um, I have valued the support from ACB over the past few years as a college student. And as a very underrepresented minority, as a woman in STEM with a disability, um, I uh, have personally felt uh, very included by this entire community and um, hopefully we'll be able to innovate a better future for all of us. Thank you very much. Okay, and last but certainly not least, our graduate recipient is Jimmy Yolkum. He's from what he tells me is the metropolis of Minden, Louisiana. Jimmy has a bachelor's degree in business, has eight years experience working in youth ministry, and is currently in law school at Mississippi College. Jimmy shared that he has always had a strong ambition to help those in need. <clears throat> Here's Jimmy. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it a great morning to be here? The weather's wonderful outside compared to where I'm from, where it's hot and humid all the time. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank um, CCLVI's organization and especially Mr. Fred Scheigert for his benevolence. Thank you so much, sir, for your uh, contribution into not only my education and future, but the education and future of many others like me. Um, as she said, I have a background in student ministry, so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a Bible verse. Um, one of my favorite verses ironically, is Proverbs 29 and 18, which reads, where there is no vision, the people perish. I, uh, as a law student, I'm a definitions guy, so I decided to look up the definition of the word blind. There are 13 definitions of the word blind, none of which have the word vision in them. All of them have something to do with sight. One of them has something to do with ill business practices, and three of them have something to do with being drunk. And after seeing some of you this week, I understand the connection. So, <laughs> I, um, I find it ironic that there's a direct distinction between vision and sight. Because vision is the ability to see things that others do not. Helen Keller once said that the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but having no vision. And the wonderful thing about ACB and CCLVI is not the fact that we have a perspective different, but that yet, in spite of all of our adversities, we still have tremendous vision. And we can see things that the world can't see. I believe it's our responsibility as an unsighted community to show the world that just because there are things that we might not be able to do like them, there are also things that they cannot do like us. Vision is quite possibly the most powerful thing in the world 
And um, I find it as our responsibility not only to advocate for more accessibility and to advocate for, for a better understanding of where we are, but also to, to be informers and educators of what life is like from our perspective and yet still show that you might be blind, you might have what they call low vision, but you are not lacking in vision. I want to finish off with another Helen Keller quote. You're at the blind convention. You better quote Helen Keller. She said, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. And so I'm very thankful for this united community and looking forward to working with you more in the future. All right. I will pass it back to Michael to introduce the ACB winners, but how about another uh, round of applause for our CCLVI winners? All right. I get, I get the opportunity to serve with uh, a wonderful group of people on this scholarship committee, and I want to thank them. I would be remiss if I didn't mention them. I want to run through the list. I, I had to write them down because I might leave somebody out if I, if I left it to my memory. But a great round of thank yous to these these folks who serve with me, Rebecca Bridges, uh, Denise Colley, Susan Glass, um, Don Coors, who's up here helping us already, sort of my right-hand man, Valerie Stannard, Vicki Prayan, Sh uh, Sharon Strakowski, Alan Benson, Shelley Hart, Kathy Schmidt-Whitaker, Mike Gravitt, and Gilly Presley. And so now to the business at hand. Uh, some of our scholarship recipients were not able to join us this year, but they have uh, some, they have excused absences. Uh, this first one will be interesting, and, and I may need you guys' help if you're an opera buff. Uh, the winner of the Bay State Scholarship is Matthew Schifrin. Uh, Matthew is from Newton, Massachusetts. Uh, he is attending New England Conservatory, majoring in contemporary improvisation. Um, Matthew is not able to join us because he's in New York as we speak today. Uh, he's a lead singer in an off-Broadway production of, now help me with this, Amy Tamai? Is that the name of the, the, the production? Oh, <laughs> Kim, Kim doesn't know. If you're, if you're an, an off-Broadway buff, that's where Matthew is. So we did want to recognize him. But the winner of the Blue Ridge Scholarship is here, and her name is Miranda Borka. Miranda is from Lynchburg, Virginia, and she's attending, John's clapping over here, she's attending Liberty University, and her major is social work. 
<laughs> for all those social work workers out there. Miranda has a passion for helping uh, immigrants and refugees get acclimated to, to the U.S. She does that by teaching English as a second language. She works with exchange students. She's a wonderful singer. I have had the, the uh, opportunity to hear her sing uh, at our service on, on uh, Saturday, and she's in, involved in her church choir. Miranda? Good morning, everyone. First, I would, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for this opportunity. I would also like to thank Reverend Garrett and the Scholarship Committee um, for, um, for allowing me to have this opportunity. And I would like to thank those who have contributed to this scholarship. Um, and I would like to thank ACB. Uh, for believing in me and my fellow students in our education. Um, as Reverend Garrett mentioned, um, I do have a passion for um, serving immigrants and refugees. And um, this passion was realized two years ago during a, a global studies internship in which I worked with refugees for 13 weeks um, in the great state of North Carolina. <laughs> and, um, but... As, as he mentioned, I am, um, I am studying social work, and actually that, that is beginning this fall, and that may sound crazy, but I'm a forever senior in college, um, and I was supposed to graduate in 2018, and then um, the Lord called me to change my major one year before graduation. Um, <laughs> so... Um, but I, I am looking forward to continuing in my undergraduate studies and also in my graduate studies uh, to, pursue, uh, per, to pursue social work. So thank you again for this opportunity, and have a wonderful week. All right, our next recipient is, will receive the, the Dr. Duane Buckley Scholarship, and she is Trin Fuong Thai Ha. And Trin comes to us from Fort Smith, Arkansas, where she is attending the, the University of Central Arkansas. She has a 4.0 GPA, and she is studying nutrition. Trin has a long list of volunteer and community service organizations, too numerous to put in my little spot of notes here, but she is instrumental in serving the Vietnamese community. Trin? Um, hello, everyone. <laughs> um, I'm very happy and... Um, oh. Sorry. Sorry, I'm short. <laughs> um, 
I'm very happy and so honored to be here today. So first, I would like to thank you, um, all the ACP people who have worked so hard to put on this convention and allow me the opportunity to be here. Second, um, I would like to thank the Buckley family for support of my scholarship and um, help me to continue my education. So I hope everybody will have like a great day and enjoy the convention. Thank you so much. Hey, oh, boy, she was, she was short down there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Our next recipient of the Marsha Dresser Memorial Scholarship is Amber Steep. Amber is from Cutstown, Pennsylvania, where she attends Cutstown University, and she's majoring in elementary education with an emphasis in uh, teaching visual, visually impaired students. Uh, Amber says she wants to pay it forward because she's received so much and by doing so she's uh, a member of one of my favorite uh, service organizations, the Alpha Phi Omegas, and she also belongs to a number of other service organizations. Amber? Good morning, everyone. You know, I don't have a speech prepared, which is fine because I really do prefer to speak from the heart. And because this scholarship is in memoriam of such a wonderful person who is now a member of the angels on the other side, you know, speaking from the heart really is the best way to do this. It already meant so much to me that I was receiving this scholarship, but when I read Marsha's biography yesterday in the exhibit hall at the Angel Wall, I'm going to be honest, I nearly started crying because my heart was so touched by it. And I had spent the past few weeks just wanting to know her more. And so between talking to Steve Dresser, who was her husband, and reading this biography, I feel like she has really been brought to life and that I know her way more and that even though she's on the other side, she lives on both in my heart and with us in spirit. I feel very honored that I am getting to be part of this legacy. So, of course, I have the scholarship committee to thank for choosing me, but really, I feel like the thanks goes to Marsha and her family for you know, putting this opportunity in front of me and allowing me to pass on the torch that she passed to her students to my future students. Thank you very much, and have a good time at the rest of the convention.
Every time I come back up here, the microphone is down, so I have to pull it up. <laughs> what, now, what's happening up here, I want you guys to know that what, what's happening up here after they, after they give their, their speech, uh, we step back, and Dennis Becker is taking our picture, and Nancy is handing President Charlson their certificate, and we take the picture. That's why there's, the, that's why there's a delay, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. Our next recipient uh, will receive the Bradley Burson and Norma Schechter scholarships. What we do when, when we have smaller scholarships, we try to combine them because the cost of education is going up, so we, uh, we, we combine these two. So... This recipient is Olivia Charland. Olivia is from Hubbardton, Massachusetts. I hope I pronounced that right. She is attending the University of Vermont, uh, majoring in, I have in my notes, environmental science, but she says it's conservation science. <laughs> but Olivia is, uh, she loves... Uh, Choir, reading, writing, music, dance, and singing, and working in her garden. Olivia? Thank you. Um, hi. So my name is Olivia, as Michael introduced. Um, so first off, I want to say thank you to the Schechter family um, and the Burrisons for funding um, the scholarship um, and then I also want to thank the scholarship committee for selecting me um, and giving me the opportunity to be here today. Um, and I have to admit, I was terrified when they told me that I had to come out here. Um, I'm from Massachusetts, so I travel cross-country by myself, and it was, it was pretty scary. But um, I'm here, and, you know, I'm excited to be here. So thank you to ACB um, for giving me the chance to be brave and to, you know, do something that I never would have imagined being capable of. So. Having a Massachusetts moment up here. <laughs> so, our next recipient is for the William Corey Scholarship, and that goes to Benjamin Chase. And Benjamin is from Levittown, Pennsylvania. He will be attending uh, Lebanon Valley College, where he will be majoring in psychology. Now, Benjamin has a, a real passion for, for people, 
and he founded a club called the Tolerance Club. He's also in, interested in, or involved in his orchestra. He sings, and he loves hiking. Benjamin? Good morning, everyone. I just would like to thank Michael Garrett and uh, the ACB committee for giving me this wonderful opportunity to be here. Uh, like Michael said, um, I am from Pennsylvania, and I've never been to the West Coast, and I'm just so happy to meet so many new people. Um, my eyes have been open to so many different things, and I'm just so glad to be here, and I'm so grateful for this scholarship, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Benjamin, do you still have that address, Ben Will Chase? All right, let's see, raise it up again. All right, and our next recipient will receive the Eunice Fiorito Scholarship. And he is Moses Babafemi from Los Angeles, California. Moses uh, sports a 3.98 GPA, uh, attending California State University, and he's majoring in rehabilitation counseling. Now, California can't give you all of the props. He did spend some time at the University of Texas in Dallas. <laughs> he, uh, he is uh, uh, also has a passion for people. He is instrumental in helping teach Braille and assist, assistive technology. He's uh, involved in his Sunday school, and he's very involved in the deafblind community. Moses? Thank you so much. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm honored to be here this morning as a recipient of Eunice Fiorido uh, Award for this year. Uh, I want to thank the American Council for the Blind for supporting my dream. Uh, just as Michael said, um, it's been my uh, utmost desire since I became blind to work in a field that empowers people with diverse ability. And I know uh, we are all here to be able to see better and one of the things that help us is that we have support from people uh, that assisted us all through the journey. So I want to be there for, for other people too. Uh, but without this, uh, I won't be able to do it without support from organizations like American Council for the Blind, which is the reason I want to thank this organization for supporting me. Uh, this scholarship will go a long way to realize my vision I also want to thank the scholarship committee for selecting me as the winner. I know you have not made a mistake for doing this at all. 
Uh, and lastly, I want to appreciate the uh, UNESCO Orido for your kind and generous support to make uh, this scholarship a reality for me. Uh, may God continue to bless you. May God bless American Council for the Blind. And may God continue to bless our great nation, America. Thank you so much. Oh, good, he's tall, good. <laughs> the recipient of the Arnold Sadler Scholarship is Ms. Lindsay Ball. And she comes from Benton, Maine. Now, she's a long ways away, too. And she will be attending the State University of New York, Brockport, Oh, some New York folks back there. Uh, she's majoring in adaptive PE. Now, she is an avid skier. And this is not just, not just an avid skier. In 2014, she was named a member of the National Paralympic Alpine Ski Team. <laughs> Lindsay? Hi, everyone. Um, so I'd like to take this opportunity to thank ACB um, for not only the scholarship, um, where I get to um, actually pick a career that I'm really passionate about um, on a personal level um, as an athlete, um, to share the opportunity with other blind and visually impaired students, um, but also to get to come to this convention and experience what this is like. This is my first time. Um, and I was really overwhelmed at first, um, but everyone's been great and I've learned a lot. So thank you. Okay, uh, these next two uh, recipients are, are not here, but we do want to recognize them. The, the winner of the uh, Kelly Cannon Scholarship is Michael Fulton. Um, Michael is from uh, uh, Connecticut, and Oh, we got music. Thank you for the accompaniment there. He's, he's, he's uh, majoring in, in information technology at Western New England University. He's not here because he has uh, an internship this summer at the uh, State Street Corporation. So, uh, 
one of, one of those great organizations. Um, and also, uh, our Oregon winner is not here this year, Qasim Saad. And uh, Qasim hails from Hillsborough, Oregon. Um, he, he'll be majoring in nuclear engineering at Portland State. And uh, he enjoys uh, swimming and goal ball and uh, a, a number of other uh, sports. And, and, and uh, Kasim said he was born to be a builder. So, so we just wanted to acknowledge those, those folks. <clears throat> and now, the recipient of the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship is Matthew Turner. Now, Matthew comes to us from Eagle, Idaho. He will be attending MIT. <laughs> now, Matthew, Matthew and I have a few things in common. He will be pursuing his degree in finance. So did I. Uh, I don't know if I had the the credentials that he had. He, uh, he scored 33 on the ACT, and he had a 4.27 GPA in high school. So, <laughs> Now, the other thing that, that we have in common is that in some of his intern, I guess one of his summer intern jobs, he, he analyzed investments and did some portfolio management structuring and he's also an avid runner. Uh, he, he's part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he loves to volunteer. So we have a lot in common. Matthew? In his great tragedy, uh, Oedipus Rex, Sophocles writes about a blind prophet, Tiresias. Now, the story tells that uh, Tiresias was well-respected among his community, and uh, it was the failure of Oedipus to heed his advice that led to his eventual demise. Now, despite his lack of eyesight, uh, Tiresias demonstrated incredible insight into the acute uh, political and social issues of his time. And I believe that this is the role of the American Council of the Blind in our modern day and age by supporting people around the globe, whether uh, blind or sighted, in, in providing uh, meaningful litigation and legislation that can support these people. Um, this convention, I've just been so inspired to meet all of these um, amazing people who are here and to hear your stories and, and just see how you overcome obstacles on a daily basis with power and poise. I'd like to thank the American Council of the Blind for supporting me in my education. Uh, this James R. Olson Scholar Memorial Scholarship will uh, greatly assist me in fulfilling my dreams of attending MIT. Um, and lastly, I want to thank each one of you for teaching me that my disability can be my greatest ability. Thank you.
All right. Our next recipient, we have three, <clears throat> three uh, uh, Ross N. Pangier Foundation scholarships. Now, you've already met this first recipient. She received one of the uh, CCLVI scholarships. But I just like saying her name. Sasha Samoa. <laughs> and, and Sasha comes to us from uh, Milford, Connecticut. And as, as Lindsay said, she's, uh, she will be attending George Washington University, uh, studying public relations and business with an emphasis in marketing. Sasha spent some time at working at Marshall's, and she said she learned there teamwork, problem-solving, and community involvement. And she has done a lot of, a lot of things, uh, and I think Lindsay talked about some of her de debate club uh, and, and other things that she's involved, involved in, the French club and all those different things. A busy young lady. Sasha? Hi, I'm back, so. Um, I just wanted to say again, thank you to the American Council of the Blind. I kind of already thanked CCLVI, but um, just both organizations, like I said, um, I obviously am going into business marketing, and I'm going to minor in communications, and a big part that I've learned about having a visual impairment is communication is key and advocacy. So I'm excited to be able to learn more about that and do more in that field as a visually impaired student. So thank you so much for all the support and all the organization has done. Thanks. I think Kim is having a lot of fun up here with all these New Englanders getting scholarships. <laughs> our, uh, our next recipient is Matthew Miller. Matthew uh, comes from Elmhurst, Illinois. <laughs> He will be studying actuarial science at Michigan State. And he, well, got some Michigan folks back there. He makes the dean list. He's coached uh, blind hockey uh, and, and other clubs. Matthew is a sort of an analytical guy. And, uh, but maybe that's why he has a 4.0 GPA, and he scored 35 on the ACT. <laughs> well, he, he seems to not be up here. 
What happened to Matthew? Well, we'll meet him later then. <laughs> I guess he did get the message. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so we'll move on. Our next uh, recipient is Kartik Sone. He is a graduate student from Stanford, California, attending Stanford University, majoring in computer science. Um, Matthew, I mean, uh, uh, Kartik started his own company called Next Billion, which is a mentoring program for students, uh, mainly trying to get them involved in uh, STEM projects. And he's also instrumental in STEM projects to students in India. Matthew, is, we're, we're glad he was able to join us. He's right now in the middle of an internship with Uber, and when he graduates, he will be uh, employed by Microsoft. Cardi? Um, hello, everyone. Uh, as Michael introduced, uh, I'm Karthik. And first of all, I'd like to thank the ACB and the scholarship committee, not just for the scholarship, but uh, more importantly, um, for, for the ability for me to be here at my first ACB convention, which is certainly not going to be my last ACB convention at all. Um, um, so I grew up in India, spent most of my life there, uh, came, to came to the U.S. for college, uh, and something that I observed in India was, uh, of course, there was lack of awareness and sensitivity um, amongst, uh, for, for, you know, for people with disabilities. Um, and something that helped me a lot was my mentors who believed in me. Uh, and that is something similar I see here at the ACB, where it's not just you know, a random set of people coming together for the convention, but a community that believes in each other and is working together to achieve this common objective of, um, you know, visual impairment not being an impediment at all. Um, so I'm really glad to be a part of this community. Thank you so much again, and have a good week. All right, our John Hebner scholarship winner is Leonard Moore. Leonard uh, was also a scholarship winner last year. He comes to us from Charlotte, North Carolina, where he attends North Carolina State, majoring in adult education, pursuing his PhD. And he's also sporting a 4.0 GPA. And uh, so he's currently employed by the North Carolina Vocational Rehabilitation uh, Organization, and he is a rehabilitation counselor. And he plans to go into college uh, administration and planning. Leonard? Uh, good morning, you all. Um, 
first I want to say thank you um, to uh, ACB for honoring me for a second year. Um, also to the scholarship committee for selecting me. Um, I want to say thank you to my wife, Tamara, for, uh, for her support throughout the year. She's here today as well. Um, and I work for VR um, in North Carolina, and, and I truly do enjoy working and helping individuals with, uh, with all disabilities to um, achieve their goals of gainful employment um, and also to uh, receive their education and to reach their potential. So thank you very much for um, continuing to support me and helping to make uh, that a reality for um, so many other individuals. Thank you. Moving on, our Floyd Qualls scholarship winners. The first one is Malad Bukhari, and Malad is from Westchester, Pennsylvania, attending Westchester University, uh, pursuing his degree in public health administration. Uh, Malad wants to create a better healthcare environment. He, uh, he's done some camp counseling, he's, he's an athlete, and has won a number of athletic awards. Malad? Good, uh, are we in afternoon yet? No, morning, still in the morning. Um, thank you all for your time, patience, and attention. Um, I'd specifically like to thank uh, Michael Garrett uh, and the ACBPA, all of ACB. Um, Rebecca Bridges, you're awesome. Shout out to Rebecca Bridges. Um, I appreciate your time, and I'm really thankful for you guys taking an investment in my education and furthering my career. Thank you.
All right. Our next Floyd Qualls recipient is Ethan Markowitz. Ethan comes to us. Now, I hope I pronounced this one right. Syat, New York? Syaset? Syaset. Okay. Syaset? Syaset. Yeah. Long Island. Well, I knew I'd have a lot of help up here. Um, Ethan will be attending Northwestern University studying economics and business. Uh, another one of those guys with a 4.0 GPA and a 33 on the, SA, uh, on the uh, ACT. Uh, Ethan, Ethan has done some tutoring. He's a member of more than one National Honor Society. And he also is, is a sports awardee. Ethan? Can I bring this up a little bit? Yeah, it's probably easier. I don't know who said that, but yeah, go Wildcats. <laughs> uh, first off, I just want to thank uh, ACB, the organization, and the entire scholarship committee. Shout out to Mr. Garrett and Mr. Kors, who stood through two interviews with me. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> but I want to just take this opportunity to talk a little bit about story. And my entire life, I've always thought I had a unique story to share with people because of my legal blindness. And I thought that was extremely interesting. And this convention really acted as my first opportunity to become a listener and really hear all of your stories, all of you in the audience. And it was the individual people and your stories that really made my convention experience amazing. So I just want to thank you all for that. And I really enjoyed myself here. Getting almost, I know we're, we're running close on where we're past time. But anyway, our next recipient is no stranger to us, uh, Abby Edwards. Uh, yeah, see, people know her. <laughs> From Vandalia, Ohio, a 3.95 GPA. She attends Wright State University, pursuing a degree in psychology. Another one of these busy ladies uh, but she's also spending a lot of time with the ACB students, so that's, that's a good thing. She's a public speaker, and her, her desire is to attain her Ph.D. in clinical health psychology. Abby? All right. Oh, I'm not even. Here we go. All right, so I have a question for everyone. Whose second convention is this? Anyone? There we go. There we go. <laughs> so last year in 2016, when I was a scholarship winner, that was actually my first convention. And going in, I had absolutely no idea what to expect. 
But once I got into the groove, I realized how at home I felt. Instead of being one of the only blind people in my community, I was just one of many. And during convention, I actually had the pleasure of becoming the secretary of ACB students. And yeah. <laughs> From this position, I learned what advocacy meant through letter writing and lobbying that I got to participate in during the mid-year seminar. So while these opportunities that I gained through convention were fantastic, the benefits of an ACB scholarship don't stop there. So this year, when I go back to school, the scholarship that I've received won't only help me to further my goal of becoming a clinical psychologist, but it will also help me better participate in my campus community through involvement in my sorority and other organizations. So I'd like to thank all those who donated to the ACB scholarship program, in particular um, to the Floyd Qual Scholarship for your generosity. I'd also like to thank the scholarship committee for giving me this incredible opportunity once again. I've truly found something fantastic in ACB, and I'm looking forward to, forward to continuing to grow with you guys. Thank you. raise it up again. All right. Uh, our next quals winner is Dora Lopez Hernandez from Greeley, Colorado. She's attending the University of Northern Colorado, pursuing a degree in rehabilitation counseling with a 4.0 GPA. <laughs> she also <clears throat> is a, an avid volunteer in a lot of clubs. She wants to help people with disabilities reach their fullest potential. Dora? Thank you so much, everybody. Um, first of all, I would like to say that I'm very excited to be here. This is my first ACB convention. Um, and so far, I've learned a lot about advocacy, um, leadership, and community involvement. I think those are all really important um, things for all of us to be involved in. Uh, so thank you so much, ACB, for supporting um, that and advocating that. Um, so yes, I would like to uh, thank the ACB organization for um, this wonderful opportunity. Secondly, I would like to thank all the donors for allowing us uh, students to be here and um, enhance our opportunities to learn and our education. Um, thank you so much to the scholarship committee to everybody who interviewed us, who talked to us. Um, it was very exciting for me. So thank you, and I look forward to continue forward to enjoying all of this convention and hope everybody has a great time. Thank you.
And last but not least, you've already seen or met this recipient. The last Floyd Qual scholarship is none other than Cassandra Mendez from Dayton, Ohio. And you've heard most of her, you've heard most of her, her, her bio from, from Lindsay, but uh, Cassandra has also been a part of ACB students. She is a part of a sorority at school. She's a part of NOAA. That's the albinism organi National Albinism Organization. And, and what I admire about her is, despite her own health challenges, she has a heart to help other people. Cassandra? Hello again. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you um, again for uh, a second time up here, actually, um, and a second time with uh, ACB. Um, as uh, Michael Garrett alluded to, um, when I was awarded a scholarship back in 2015, I barely made it to convention because I uh, barely graduated high school. I was um, really struggling with my health, um, and thanks to uh, thanks to the Lord, thanks to surgeons and doctors and blood donors. Please be a donor. Um, I am here today. I was able to go to college, and I'm in my third year studying my degree. Um, I, I would love to thank ACB again just for uh, their encouragement and their uh, unrelenting support. Um, I'd like to thank the, the Qualls family for the generous donation and funding my education. Um, and I just, I, I've been loving to see this community as, um, uh, visually paired, uh, partial, partially blind, um, female, you know, it's been really wonderful to see this community, um, and it doesn't matter who you are, how much acuity you have, and, uh, what you do, but you are one of the many, and you are valuable. Thank you so much. So these things don't happen. These scholarships and getting the students here don't happen and the events don't happen by themselves. I want to thank our sponsors, the Randolph Shepard Vendors of America for their, their long and continued sponsorship, Cox Communications, and ACB Lions. So, so, ACB, we have a chance, we've had a chance to 
invest in the future of these students. And I say that from where I stand, our future looks or has the chance to look bright because even in the, in the, even with those who have limited sight. So to the students, I say strive with all the energy that you can for your success. And thank you for allowing ACB to, in your future, have a chance to invest. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the 2017 class of scholarship winners. All right. Congratulations to the committee for their hard work. Again, all of you scholarship winners, way to go. You're going you're gonna to go places. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yep. All right. We're just about to go into a break. We're a little behind. Madam President. Yes. ACB of Indiana has a $100 donation to the James R. Olson Scholarship. Oh, Thank you, ACB of Indiana. All right, we've got several announcements. We're going to have a 10-minute break. I want my door prize people to be ready upon return to pull a few door prizes. So I'm going to recognize Janet Dickelman first, followed by Donna Pomerantz and Patty Cox. Morning, everyone. Boy, that's a lot to follow those scholarship winners. Aren't they awesome? feel like I know them all because I helped them with their hotel reservation, so this is great. All right. Um, anyone who has pre-ordered, we have a last-minute edition for Friday evening, July 7th, a Chris Isaac concert. And if anyone is interested, if anyone was on the list for tickets, please go to registration to pick them up, to purchase them. And if anyone, we do have a few extras and those will be on a first-come, first-served basis for $68, so stop by registration for those. Um, gong bath this afternoon. Um, we needed a larger... I'm going to steal from... This is a Ray Campbell thing, and I shouldn't even be saying this, but we need a larger bathtub for them, so they are moving to Ponderosa B. Ponderosa B for gong bath. Um, tour reminder, please, if you're on a tour, wear your badge and bring your ticket. Make sure you have your ticket with you and have your badge on. Uh, reminder, if, you are, if your dog has an accident in the hotel, which we understand does happen on occasion, stressful time for dogs, uh, please stay with the accident. Do not leave it. And have, call or have someone call Tim Stone at Scoop Masters, and Tim will come and take care of things. I have Tim's number. And it is 661-714-0749. Or just call me and I'll be happy to reach out to him. Uh, lost items or found items at the information desk. We have a slate. We still have that Canon camera. We have a couple pairs of eyeglasses. Rebecca Sutton, if you're in the room, your wallet is at security. Um, and... Found in the exhibit hall was a folding cane, a pair of earrings, and a uh, book about the Bible. 
And also tickets for Kevin Ratliff are at the information desk. And uh, that is what I have for today. Hope everyone's enjoying the convention. Talk with you tomorrow. Good morning, everyone. This is Donna Pomerantz. How are you? Hope everyone's doing well. Hi, it's wonderful to be here, and I just wanted to share with you a couple of different hats that I am wearing here at this convention. If you find me anywhere, I have ACB Braille form tickets for sale, $50 a piece. First prize is um, $5,000. Who wants that? Everybody's saying, I'll take it. Yes. Second prize is $1,000, and third prize is $500. So uh, we've been lucky sellers uh, in past years, so come find me, and you can get your tickets $50 a piece. You can get five people together in a group, and if you have all that cash, we can go ahead and put that set. They're also in the mini mall, if you can't find me here at the California table or the CCLVI table. Um, also, I have CCLVI and BOP large print surveys. If you're, if you're a paper large print reader, we want to hear from you. So come and see me throughout the convention, or if you hear me anywhere, I have everything with me when I'm on the move, too. So I'm going to give it over to Patty Cox for her announcements. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I want to tell you a few things. We only have a few jackets left. If you're cold, you better get in there in the mini mall and get your jackets. We also have those silk touch polo shirts. They're really nice. If you want to go and ask people for money or you want to wear them to a nice meeting, you can dress them up really well. They're a business casual, and they feel great. They'll keep you cool in the heat. I know not in this hotel, but you will be leaving. We also have something that is just for large print people. We have a new calendar. It's a planner. It has a monthly and a weekly planner. It has enough room for you to write on it in very large print. We also have pins to go with it. So come by the mini mall and check out all our new stuff. All right. Thank you. Oh, hold on, Kim. This is Cindy Labonchi for God's okay. sake. For the DKM committee, you can go to the mini mall today and buy your tickets. We have a real deal going. One for five. Three for 10, six for 20, and 30 for $100. That's a special. You can also get it tomorrow at the same prices at 7.30 to 8.30 at Marketplace, again at the Mini Mall, and also Wednesday until the DKM reception. There are several of us around. We will be happy to sell you those tickets, especially that 30 for $100, a real deal. Thank you. And the prizes are, we have a whole lot of, gift cards to give away, everything from Amazon all the way down to Target, Walmart, McDonald's, Visa. Is it Visa? Yeah, I keep wanting to say Verizon. Visa, MasterCard, um, every store you can think of, restaurants, every place. All, all right. Thank you so much. I'm going to recognize Dan Spoon, and then we're going to take a five-minute break because you guys talked, so i got to keep this moving. Dan Spoon. <laughs> Thank you, Madam President. Uh, first, I would like to recognize George Holliday to give us an update on the MMS program. And I will make and it draw short. Draw a winner. I will make it short. Yeah. I still want to see a lot of people to come and visit Table 4 and find out how you can help your affiliate and ACB in a great fundraiser, and it's no work for the affiliate. Now, yesterday, the... 
winner for yesterday was Leslie Tom. So there's a winner today, but to become a winner, you have to come and register and get involved with the MMS program. Thank you. Thank you, George. And now, Kim Bear to talk about our wonderful auction tonight. Yeah, yeah. Uh-oh. Don't, we don't want to have, lose Kim. Where's Kim? Come on. She's here. She's here. Yay. She's here. All right, Kim. <laughs> we wanted everybody uh, to come to the auction this evening. We have uh, pre-viewing at 6 o'clock, and the con- uh, auction will start at 7 there, there is going to be refreshments in there that you can purchase. We have a lot of really awesome food, technology, trips, jewelry. Please come out and support us and ACB. Thank you. Kim, where is it? Thank you. It's in where, this room, isn't it? It's in it? the Rose Ballroom right here. Right here. Thank you, Madam President. All right. I have an announcement. Identify yourself, please. This is Tamara Lomax from ACB Students, second vice president. Okay, go ahead. I would like to remind everyone that on Thursday evening, we will be having, sorry, Wednesday evening, we'll be having our annual comedy night. And just as a reminder to everyone who was so gracious to pre-register for comedy night, your name will automatically be entered to win our grand prize. It's a free drawing, so please be present if you pre-registered and hope that your name is called. Also, a second reminder that we will be selling plenty of raffle at the event, and if you have previously purchased raffle from ACB students, your tickets are still valid, and we have several deluxe raffle items available. Thank you. All right, that, that break flew by, so we're going to go to our door prize, folks. Door prize? Are you ready? Okay. We'll get you to a mic and uh, call some names of people in this room. They're ready. Okay, our very first gift is from Nevada. And who knows what Nevada usually gives? It is the Copalt Blue Shape of Nevada map with 25 Ike Silver dollars. And the name is Jacqueline Roy. Are you in the room? Jacqueline Roy, are you in the room? Okay, the next name is Alan Peterson. All right. Congratulations. Okay, and the next prize is from Mississippi Council of the Blind. And it is a cash door prize. Does not say how much. So you guys, it's a big secret. And the lucky winner is Lauren Stevenson. Are you in the room? Oh, Stevens, I'm sorry. Lauren Stevens, are you in the room? Got it. I'll be there. Okay. 
Another name, please. Uh-oh. Another name. Sharon Dutner, are you in the room? Thank you. Okay. And the next one is ACB Maryland, and it is a $25. Celeste Pfeiffer, are you in the room, please? Celeste Pfeiffer. Carol Francisco, are you in the room? Okay, the next one is a $20 from Illinois Council of the Blind. And the winner is... Roger Benz, are you in the room? Roger Benz, going once, going twice, gone. Bonnie Robertson. Not here. Okay, not here. Frank Kuta, are you in the room? Raise your hand, please. Or stand up or <laughs> scream up and down. He's behind the stage curtain. He's coming out. Okay. And what's the bell? The necklace. Okay. <laughs> Say it again. Okay, the next prize is a... Necklace from the Montana Council of the Blind chapter. I'm sorry for not knowing the right name. But anyway, the name is again. Sir Lee Scholes. Are you in the room, Sir Lee Scholes? No, don't worry. Oh, we know this one's in the room. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful silver necklace, Kim Charlson. We'll do one more, and then we will take the break because we're a little behind. One more one after more, that. One more name. Okay. This, uh, this one is a T-shirt from Utah, and there's a can of a surprise in the can from Utah. John Farina. John Ooh. Farina. Not W2QCY. Come on. Another name. Afraid not. Hang on. Donnie Mitchell. Is Donnie Mitchell in the room? No? No Donnie? No Don, move on. No Don, move on. 
Patricia Tussing. Patricia Tussing, are you in the room? Is Frank? Okay. They say. Okay, need another name for the. What, All right, try again. What's that prize? We can't find Frank Kusha. Would he come to the Nevada table, please? Frank Kusha to the Nevada table. Kuta. 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 Okay, we got him. We got him. For you. No. Okay, we're going Come on. Tamara okay. Moore. Are you in the room, Tamara Moore? Okay, as soon as we get the next one, we're breaking. Okay. Tamara Moore. Denise Decker. Denise Decker, are you in the room? All you people snoozing and losing. Oh, is she? Denise. Okay, we got her. Okay, so we will uh, stand in recess for about... No? We're going to keep going. There's no recess. Okay. All right. Okay. They can go if they need to, but, you know. Okay. Kim Spoon feeding me here. That's a good thing. All right. Okay, we're going to move on, boys and girls. It is my distinct pleasure, as a fellow member of the bar, to introduce someone who you will probably, uh, whose name you will instantly recognize, Lainey Feingold. She has been... Thank you. She has been our tower of strength in the realm of structured negotiation. As a matter of fact, she has just uh, published a book, Structured Negotiation, a winning alternative to lawsuits. If I wasn't halfway across the country, it would have been my distinct pleasure to have uh, attended her presentation of this book, which I believe occurred at my alma mater, Harvard Law School, in uh, October of 2016. I was very, very excited about this book. As a matter of fact, you're going to have to order a copy. Oh, there's an, uh, an accessible version of it. Um, Without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you Ms. Lainey Feingold. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, John. Thank you, Kim. Good morning, ACB. Hello in ACB Radio Land, listening to the live stream. Um, okay. It's really an honor to be here. I appreciate Kim inviting me. I send greetings from Linda Dardarian, who has done a lot of work for ACB with me over the years. And... I was trying to think, when was my first convention? I think 
It was probably 2001 or 2002, but I could only find my notes from 2008. I'm going to get to those in a minute. But what I would like to talk to you about is, as John mentioned, I did write a book, and the book is called Structured Negotiation, A Winning Alternative to Lawsuits. I've done a ton of talks about it since the book came out, but this is the first time I've had the opportunity to talk about the book with so many people who are in the book. So I just want to start by, let's give ourselves, give yourselves, ACB and ACB members and affiliates, a huge round of applause for what you will now hear are all the incredible stories of your advocacy in this book. So let's start out with an applause. Um, okay, so... Um, Yes, yeah, so structured negotiation is a way of resolving legal problems without lawsuits. And it was, it's such an honor to come behind the scholarship students who I just met listening to their accomplishments, and I know they're going to accomplish so much in the years going ahead. And it struck me that some of you in the scholarship group uh, were actually born after we started working on structured negotiation cases. So um, just, yeah, so what I want to do is I just want to go through the kinds of work that have been accomplished in structured negotiation because of all your efforts and the efforts of blind people around the country. And I'll do that for a little bit, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming up in the future in those 2008 notes. So... Um, I was thinking, oh, I want to give a shout-out, especially I know not everybody's in the room, but a lot of people are listening on ACB radio. I want to give a shout-out to everybody by name. But then I realized there is no way I can do that because there have been literally hundreds of people who have made structured negotiation a success. Every single case you ever hear about started because either an advocacy organization or an individual blind person called... Their affiliate called Kim, called me, called Linda, and said, we got a problem, can you help us fix it? Every single case was successful because people helped us along the way, both while we're working on the case, and I tell all these stories in the book, and once a case is finished, when we're working with big companies, there still can be problems, as you all know. So all these cases are a success because of you. So I can't name everybody, but I do want to name the issues and if you recognize yourselves or you're an affiliate in the issue, just give a shout-out because, like I say, structured negotiation is about all of us. So Kim called this talk an attorney's journey from courtrooms to client settlements. And it really has been a journey. I began being a disability rights lawyer in 1992 when I worked for DREDF, Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. I had been a union-side labor lawyer and a traditional civil rights lawyer working on race and gender before that. So when I came to disability rights, I was pretty familiar with doing lawsuits. But the journey to working in collaboration and finding common ground really began with ATMs. So the Talking ATM Initiative... Which, I just have to say, like I said, I'm not going to name any people, even though Kathy Martinez just walked in and I see her, and she was one of the early advocates. Um, the entire effort started with Steve Mendelson, who called a friend of mine and said, there's not a single ATM we can use in the whole country. 
Now, there are talking ATMs everywhere. And a large reason for that are the structured negotiations that members of ACB and the affiliates have been involved in. So I can't name you all individually, but I do want to give a shout out to affiliates from California, Florida, Massachusetts, Illinois, Utah, and Iowa, who were all active in the structured negotiation about talking ATM. Like I say, people tested the ATMs, they gave feedback to the developers. You called me with reports once they were supposed to be working and they weren't. That is all part of advocacy, and that is all part of what has made structured negotiation successful. We started with talking ATMs. In 1995, Roger Peterson, Jerry Coons, Kathy, Steve, they came to me and said, well, maybe it was closer to 97, 98, we're making good progress with talking ATMs, but you know what? There's another issue called online banking, which is a new thing, but if we don't make that accessible, we're going to be back to square one and locked out of independence and privacy. So we went to Bank America as part of the structure negotiation in 1999. We said, we got this new issue. Because we're in a relationship with them, instead of fighting with them in a lawsuit, they said, okay, let's work on that. And in 2000, thanks to the CCB's initiative and the individual blind people involved, Bank America became the very first company in the United States to sign a web accessibility agreement. And to this day, many of you have been involved, been involved with Bank America initiatives. I know Bay State Council did a, a initiative to work on their security issues. We did their mortgage information last year. And that one education that Linda and I got from you guys about the importance of online banking has led to about 30 different web accessibility agreements in structured negotiation that you all have been a part of. I can't name them all, but I just want to give a shout out to a couple of them. American Cancer Society. Back in the you know, mid-2000s, they were providing cancer information in about 50 different languages, and they had nothing for blind people. And because of individual advocates, again, I'm not going to start naming people because I'm going to leave people out, but some of you are in the room, you know who you are, some of you are listening on the radio, individual advocates who said, this is not right. If there is information about healthcare, I have a right to it in a format that I can read. Braille, online accessible, large print. So we approached American Cancer Society in structured negotiation. They changed their policies and practices. They committed to an accessible website. They committed to having Braille and large print information. When things didn't go quite right, members, people listening to this radio show, radio stream, called me, and we got things back on track. So American Cancer Society is really an outgrowth. I consider all the web cases an outgrowth of those early talking ATM cases that led us to online banking. So um, Weight Watchers, another example. People involved with Weight Watchers wanting to use the online tools came, advocates in the American Council of the Blind came to us and said, we need to get this fixed. We did a deal with Weight Watchers. We understand there are still some ongoing issues. We're continuing to work on them. Um, I will be up here at the front after the morning session closes, and I'd be interested in talking to people who have issue, ongoing issues with any of these companies, as well as new issues for the future, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay, Major League Baseball accessibility. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. When Brian Charlson first called me about Major League Baseball, I'm like, 
really? Like, we deal with finance and healthcare and important issues. Well, it turns out I was wrong and didn't know how important baseball was. And uh, Major League Baseball became a great partner with ACB and the affiliates. Bay State Council was instrumental in that. And then when we started with Major League Baseball, there wasn't an app store and there wasn't an app. But because we had good relationship with them, and again, I tell this story in the book, we were able to go to them when they got the app and say, you know what, web isn't enough. Mobile applications have to be accessible. Everything digital must be available to blind people. End of story. This is 2017. Nothing is off limits for accessibility. And all the work that I've told about in this book happened because individual advocates said that, said no, non-accessibility is not enough. Um, tons of banks, we did, the, uh, we did the web accessibility structure negotiation with. Just recently, there was a lawsuit filed by someone in Florida, and we had a great, when I say we, the disability community had a great victory in the very first web accessibility trial where a judge said that the Winn-Dixie grocery chain violated the ADA because its website wasn't accessible. And that is a really important decision out of, court decision out of Florida. But you know what? To ACB members, that wasn't anything new because back in 2010 or 12, I think, we did a structured negotiation with Safeway thanks to about 10 individual Safeway shoppers, some of whom are in this room, who came to us and said, you know what, we can't do our online grocery shopping. We went to Safeway, we got an agreement with them, their mobile app, their website has been accessible, they've been very responsive if there are continued problems. You know, Winn-Dixie should have listened to that. Winn-Dixie should have paid attention. So uh, Safeway's another one, credit reports, the free credit reports, we did an agreement. Um, financial information, we've done... You know, Linda in particular has done amazing work with healthcare, Kaiser Permanente, and Sutter, comprehensive agreements in structured negotiation to make sure the services, the information, the technology is accessible. Uh, point of sale devices. The ACB and its affiliates did 12 settlement agreements to make sure blind people did not have to share their PIN when using a credit or debit card in stores. Target, CVS, Walmart, Walmart known to, you know, fight every idea of settlement. No, they became a great negotiating partner in structured negotiation. I tell some of those stories in the book. Um, audio description, accessible pedestrian signals, all because of the advocacy of individuals. In San Francisco, when we approached them on behalf of California Council of the Blind and the Lighthouse and the Independent Living Resource Center, San Francisco had one, count it, one accessible pedestrian signal, not even one intersection, one signal in the entire city. And now there are thousands of signals in a great relationship with the city and new signals coming online that are accessible all the time. And last but not least on the, oh, and healthcare, let me just give a shout out, Bay State Council of the Blind most recently this year Great settlement with a local hospital, Mass Eye and Ear. Again, because Bay State advocates were willing not just to, you know, sit there and complain to themselves, but to come forward and to do the hard work of meeting with the hospital, understanding things take time. Now there's a very strong relationship thanks to the perseverance of the Bay State Council 
in doing the structured negotiations with Mass Ioneer. So last but not least on the topics, talking prescription labels. Again, thanks to so many affiliates and individual blind people around the country and the leadership of Kim Charlson as ACB president and really pushing this, we have made tremendous progress on accessible prescription labels. We're not finished, and we know we're not finished. I want to give a shout-out to ACB Texas. Where's Texas in the room? Anybody here from Texas? Okay. Um, that's an example of a state affiliate wanting to fix a problem with a state-based uh, provider. This was an HEB grocery chain, and developing partnership with the Disability Rights of Texas, Disability Rights Texas, which is the P&A organization down there with just a little bit of help from me on the structured negotiation part, a very committed HEB who is very enthusiastic about the process because they were not sued, they were not made to be the bad guys, they were not issued a negative press release, but they worked in collaboration. So ACB Texas is the most recent but the other cases with CVS and Caremark, uh, Express Scripts now has talking, uh, talking prescription labels. All these companies started because of structured negotiation. And that gets me to my notes from 2008, which I found in my speaker file. So in my 2008 notes to the convention, I said, in my notes about what I wanted to say to the convention, I said, we want to work on talking prescription labels. And at that time, there were none. There were no talking labels in the country. Some, some of the companies were doing Braille. It wasn't necessarily consistent. And because of the advocacy of individuals in this room and all over the country, Walmart, of all people, became the first pharmacy to offer mail-order talking labels as well as you can now go into a particular store and if you're regular at that store, you can ask that it be equipped with talking labels. So Walmart started. We did Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Caremark. Um, so that was 2008. Another thing I reported in 2008 is we sent a letter to Major League Baseball. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to be not just an amazing commitment by Major League Baseball, but they are so committed to accessibility that they now have like a program where they share their accessibility expertise with other companies. It became, you know, they are so far and far and above the leader on that. Um, we said we want in 2008. We said we're getting complaints about investment websites. If you have any issues with that, come and tell us. Since that convention. We have done structured negotiation agreements with E-Trade, with Charles Schwab, um, and with The Motley Fool, all because individual blind people had a problem and they wouldn't take no for an answer. They came up and they said, we want to do something about it. So what I want to leave you with is, what's next? What are we going to look back on when I, you know, in five years from now? And I say, oh, remember when I spoke at the 2017 convention? And we said we wanted to do this or that. So, you know, I don't sit around and dream up the issues to work on in my office. I am responsive, as is Linda, as is all the lawyers that ACB has working with them. All the lawyers do work based on what you tell us. So I invite you to tell not just me and Linda, but all of ACB's lawyers uh, what issues you want to work on. I invite you to not, you know... Just, just say no. Just say no to inaccessibility. Let me really quickly say one thing about the book. It's available on Bookshare. It's available, and that's another whole story because 
Um, if you know about publishing, the American Bar Association published my book. It is not just for lawyers. I work really hard to make it so it's readable by advocates and other people. And they told me the book's ready to go, August 2016. I said, okay, where's the electronic version that's accessible? I need to send it to Bookshare. I want it to be on the ABA website. And they're like, oh, we usually do the electronic version three or four months later. And I'm like, that's not good enough. Books need to be born accessible. Information needs to be born accessible. Technology needs to be born accessible. There are no more excuses. So if you haven't read, and, the, and Dolly agrees too. Um, yeah, so the book is on Bookshare for those of you who are members. I do have print copies that I sell for what I pay for them. Um, I'm going to be at the back of the, where am I going to be? At the back of the room. I'm going to be at the front of the room when this session's over if people want to buy a copy of the book or if they want to talk to me about any cases. I see someone at the mic, but I don't know if there's time at the mic. No time, no time for questions. Thank you so much. You're Thank you, Kim. Thank you, John. Right? Oh, yeah. One second. So, so, I have an announcement to make this. So, thank you, Lainey. I, I so enjoy working with Lainey, and what a, she's just amazing. So, Lainey, thank you for helping us to do so many great things to make this world more accessible for people who are blind and visually impaired. I just need to make a quick announcement, and then if Rebecca Bridges can get to a microphone real fast, that would be great. Um, the escalators outside the ballroom um, have been closed for safety reasons, so please spread the word if you know anybody that those escalators have been closed down for safety issues, okay? Rebecca, are you at a mic? Yes, I am. Okay, speak oh, clearly gosh. into it. Rebecca's <laughs> got an important announcement. I'm sorry, I have to eat this thing. There you go. Um, so... Okay. For anyone, as, as many of you may know, as part of the um, ACB Strategic Action Planning Initiative, um, the uh, membership group is holding some, a series of focus groups, and we're kicking them off at convention. Um, um, and the focus groups are really around uh, membership recruitment, retention, and engagement. And we want to hear from you whether this is your first convention, your 30th convention, or whether you don't come to convention. Um, and so we're kicking them off today. We have two focus groups. Um, one is at 2.45 and the second is at 4.15. Um, we already, we did a process where we had folks sign up um, prior to convention and we are almost full. However, we have a couple more slots available. I will tell you that the location of the focus groups, the most important announcement, the location for anyone who has signed up, it is in Suite 2943, West Tower, 2943. So we'll be looking for you there. Um, we do have a couple of slots available for both sessions. If you're interested in attending, um, feel free to stop by. We like to cap it around 12 if we can um, because we do have a lot to cover and we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to share um, so we have a series of questions uh, to ask you. Uh, we look forward to speaking with you. Um, if you, again, if you've signed up, come to 2943 in the West Tower. We will start promptly um, at 245 for the first one, 415 for the second one. And we really look forward to, to hearing from you. And if you cannot come and are interested in, one, knowing more about it, um, or B, being on a, we'll be sending more advertising later, but um, I'm already taking a list of people 
who would like to participate after convention, we will be scheduling a series of conference calls um, in the coming months to continue this process to make sure that we hear from everyone. So um, feel free uh, to, to reach out to me if you are interested in knowing more about what we're doing or participating after convention. And if you have time and are so inclined, join us at 2943 uh, this afternoon, either 245 or 415. Thank you, Kim. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm not Kim, but she handed the mic off to me. <laughs> I guess you understood that I wasn't Kim. Okay. Y'all got that. Yeah. Right. Okay. It is truly an honor to introduce our next presenter. Uh, I feel I know a lot about him already because he's kind of a Facebook guy. You know, I've, I've, I've learned so much about uh, Park Slope. My brother, actually, when he uh, graduated from college, when he came home from the Peace Corps, he had a, his, when he was first out on his own in the United States when he wasn't surfing in the South Pacific and all that cool stuff, okay? He was in Park Slope, but it has certainly gentrified big time. And uh, I hear a lot about our guest and his lovely wife, Roz, and his uh, child, Rachel. Well, not child, probably, but they go to all these cool restaurants, and I mean, there's not over much that I haven't learned about Park Slope. I'm not going to get reports from there any longer uh, because, as uh, well, that's part of what he's going to talk about, okay? It is my distinct, well, let me say what the program says, uh, AFB New Directions and Destinations uh, for AFB going forward, something along those lines, but he can speak to that more eloquently than I can. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Kirk Adams. Right here. Kirk. All right, good morning. Let me, get, let me get my note taker situated, let me get my cane out of the way. Uh, here we go, okay, in the mic. There we go, that better? We'll tip it up and get comfortable. All right, so ACB, um, just good morning. It's so, so good to be here. Um, the scholarship winner's worth, worth, the, uh, worth the trip. I'm so, just so excited about the future hearing uh, hearing those young folks talk. So um, I, I do gather that 33 on the ACT is pretty good. I didn't know that. And uh, and Benjamin, I, I want to join the Tolerance Club. So tell, tell me how to tell me how to apply. So I am Kirk Adams. I am president of the American Foundation for the Blind. I'd like to uh, Recognize Mark Reichert, who is one of our staff members. We're now rooming together in an office in Arlington, Virginia, as of about 10 days ago, as I've moved from New York to Arlington. I know there's bloggers, AFB bloggers, and peer advisors in the room. I know there's Access Award winners and Helen Keller Achievement Award winners about. So um, it feels like family. Uh, AFB always includes an ACB leader on our board of trustees, past board members Brian Charlson and Jeff Tomer here I know. Uh, current AFB Board of Trustee Katie Frederick is here. Uh, truly a pleasure working with and getting to know Katie better. And I'm not just saying that because she's one of my bosses now, but uh, she's, she's a great person. So I, I read the program ACB Sparks Success. So a, a successful American Council of the Blind is truly vitally important for blind people in our country. And at AFB, we want to support the council in every way that we can. I do want to recognize your strong leadership, Eric Bridges, as your director, 
uh, met him, uh, I think the first day he was interviewing for a job at National Industries for the Blind, uh, coincidentally, was that 12 years ago? 17 years ago. And Kim Charlson I've known for almost 50 years. So, so my, uh, my retinas detached when I was in kindergarten and I you know, became totally blind just instantly. And uh, I, my parents um, didn't know quite what to do uh, with that situation, but we, we ended up at the Oregon State School for the Blind uh, where I started first grade. And I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't have the language for it, but you know, Kim and the other kids at OSB were role models for me because they thought of themselves as regular kids doing regular kids stuff and they acted like regular kids and because of them I got to see myself as a regular kid so anyway both uh, both Eric and, and Kim are on my uh, secret list of cool blind people so um, so I'm I'm the sixth president of AFB I'm the sixth blind president and for those of you who don't know much about AFB just briefly uh, if you go to afb.org, there's tons of information. But we are a private nonprofit. We're not a membership organization like ACB. We were uh, created in 1921 by the professional associations in the blindness field. There was an association of workers for the blind, an association of teachers of the blind, and they both met and in their annual conventions uh, voted to put leadership and resources forward to create a new central nonprofit agency, which was to identify, understand, and address the most important issues affecting the lives of people who are blind. Um, I know Helen Keller got some love earlier from your uh, scholarship winner from Louisiana, Jimmy, but Helen uh, worked for AFB from 1924 until she passed away in 1968, and we have a, a, a legacy uh, deeply tied to Helen Keller's life and work. Um, like, like all of you in this room uh, at AFB, we're working hard uh, to create a world of no limits for people who are blind and visually impaired. Uh, everyone associated with ACB and AFB, I, I was talking to Malad yesterday, he's got to keep his B's straight. There's, lot, there's lots of uh, organizations with B. But uh, at AFB and ACB, you know, we know that all, like all human beings, blind people, have unlimited potential to achieve, to create, to live fulfilling lives. Um, prior to AFB, I was the CEO of the Lighthouse for the Blind in Seattle. You know, I worked very closely with members of WCB. Uh, attended lots of WCB state conventions. I've attended a number of national conventions with you all, Jacksonville, Louisville. Um, you know, I know the firsthand the amazing work you all do. And uh, I know the ACB members in this room are, are living proof that there's really no limit to blind people's talent, our ambition, creativity, our courage, our compassion. But uh, you know, the reality remains that limits are being placed on us uh, in the form of barriers to inclusion in uh, nearly every aspect of life. And Lainey's uh, comments of the issues she's been helping address point that out. And we all know that blind people face barriers uh, to equal employment opportunities, to educational and health services, to transportation systems, to electronic information. So at AFB, you know, we're working hard to understand why and how these limits are being imposed on blind people and what we can do about it. And I know every blind person in this room has had a limit 
placed upon them at some point. I had dinner last night uh, with some of my Seattle friends, with Glenn and Cindy and Mika, and you know, all very accomplished blind people, but I know how each of them has had to battle and struggle and fight to overcome barriers. And of course, I've had my, my own share. And one small example, uh, when I was a senior in high school, first day I went from my uh, math analysis class uh, to my physics class, I was lugging about 40 pounds of Braille textbooks and all was well. And I went to my chemistry class and the teacher told me, um, you cannot take chemistry. A blind person uh, will not be able to uh, conduct the required experiment. So I was you know, sent out of the classroom and assigned to a study hall, um, you know, case, case closed. So now, of course, I have met successful blind chemists. Um, your scholarship winner from Oregon is going to be studying nuclear engineering. You know, Cassandra, when she thanked you for her scholarship, she mentioned that she's you know, facing some challenges as a visually impaired woman pursuing a STEM career. But you know, thanks, Cassandra, for fighting the good fight. So you know, at the time, I was unceremoniously kicked out of chemistry class. Um, you know, at that time, I didn't have relationships with any blind people. I, I had I'm gone from Oregon State School for the Blind into public school in, in uh, fourth grade. Uh, I didn't have any blind adult role models. I didn't have any self-advocacy skills to speak of. And uh, you know, as Carthy mentioned in, in his scholarship acceptance remarks, you know, you in ACB, you're part of a community full of role models and expert self-advocates. And I I know we're all taking advantage of. Uh, this unbelievable opportunity here in Reno to learn from one another. Um, you know, so back to chemistry class, a, li a limit was placed upon me uh, by that teacher in that school, and I, I did not know how to deal with it. Um, I was not allowed to live a life of, of no limits. Um, but for the good news, you know, right now we, we have unprecedented opportunities to create that world of no limits that we all know as possible, you know, advances in technology, uh, power of social media to help us share knowledge and organize, you know, research and data analysis tools that really allow us to dig deep and look at old problems and, and find new solutions. So, you know, in this world that's changing each and every day, we really need to be strong and decisive right now uh, to make sure that these changes contribute uh, to a world of no limits for people who are blind rather than creating even more barriers. So, you know, now of course we know, we know individual blind people can and do overcome all kinds of barriers and sometimes in really pretty remarkable ways, but at AFB we want to make overcoming these barriers easier for all blind people. Um, we had an opportunity to visit the New York Institute for Special Education in the Bronx and we were interviewing some of the kids and we, you know, we asked the, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up question. A little girl about six years old, totally blind girl, said, I can be a helicopter pilot if I want to. <laughs> so, so, you know, when she's in high school and uh, she walks into her intro to aeronautical engineering class with her white cane in her hand, I don't want some ignorant uh, so-and-so telling her she can't do it. You know, I want us to create a world of no limits for kids like her. Uh, you know, to that end, AFB just went through a year-long strategic planning process. 
Uh, we step back and ask what we can do as an organization that will bring the greatest long-term value for people who are blind and visually impaired in our country. And we talked to lots of people, both inside and outside of the blindness field, and uh, we received a clear answer. We were told that AFB should uh, identify the most challenging barriers faced by, by blind people, to use research and data analysis to understand these barriers, to create knowledge about these most challenging issues, and then to share that knowledge in order to make positive changes in the lives of blind people. So that's what we're going to do. I thought it was very telling when Aubrey Webson yesterday uh, commented that people with disabilities around the world, including people who are blind, live with the greatest disparities. And he said what he needs to do, his job is data. So that's what we're gonna focus on at AFB. Um, leveling the playing field, making the environment less challenging for all blind people by identifying key issues, using research and data to understand them, and then transfer that knowledge to people who can make decisions and make better strategic decisions on behalf of people who are blind. So look forward to sharing all of that with you. If you go to afb.org, you can sign up for alerts. We'll share our work plans with you. We'll look for ways to work together and amplify one another's efforts. Thank you so much for having me here today and enjoy the rest of your convention. Um, will Judy Dixon come to the podium for, for her presentation after our next speaker? Go ahead, John. Thanks. Okay, next. Okay. Next, my honor to present to you Dr. Sharon Sachs, superintendent of the California School for the Blind, and she will talk to us, update about uh, regulation, state of the nation, okay? Special education, ideas. Other good things, but there was no time for me to run. all those all those things about education. In 20 minutes, she's going to do all of that. I'm sorry for the lack of preparedness as an ex explanation for that, but I won't go into it and take up time here. Um, it's been a zoo, as you as you can imagine. So I just commend you to Dr. Sharon Sachs. Thank you. Good morning, ACB. I will not bore you because I'm going to talk very fast and give you a synopsis of what's happening with schools for the blind throughout the country, a national perspective of education, IDEA, and what ACB can do for education field. So let's start with, um, I represent the Council of Schools for the Blind. I'm one of the board members. And I will tell you that schools for the blind throughout the country are doing well. However, they are serving a more complex and diverse group of students who are blind, visually impaired, deafblind, and students who have multiple disabilities. Those schools who are doing well are, have great outreach programs along with students who are enrolled at their schools. So, stu so schools who are providing 
short course programs, summer academies, weekend workshops, parent workshops, reaching out to local school districts and being a resource for their states are in doing incredibly well and reinventing themselves as um, resources throughout the whole country. Um, schools for the Blind have a challenge, as well as schools and programs for students who are visually impaired throughout the country. We face huge shortages in attracting teachers to serve students with visual impairments. I encourage all of you to work with young adults who are in high school who are interested in going into the field of education to really focus on working with kids who are blind and visually impaired. At my school alone, right now, we have four openings, four openings for teachers. We are looking for people, and I know this is true of other schools for the blind, who have certification to work with students who are blind or visually impaired. We need orientation mobility instructors who are certified. We need assistive technology specialists who are certified as teachers for students with visual impairments. In California, you have to be certified to be a teacher. The other thing that schools for the blind face, and it's a sort of a national issue, is that there is a huge trend toward placing all students in inclusive environments. And I'm not saying that inclusive environments are a bad thing. It depends on the individual needs of the student. And we need to go back to what IDEA says. It says that all students who have disabilities are entitled to a continuum of services from most restrictive to least restrictive. And for some students, um, a least restrict restrictive environment might be a specialized school for the blind for a short period of time. We tell parents that when, we, that when they send kids to our school that we don't want kids to be at CSB for a long period of time. We want them there, get the schools skills they need, and send them back to their LEA. We are partners with a local education agency. And I would say that that's a trend throughout the country. So helping special education administrators understand that we are partners, that we are, that inclusion may be a more segregated environment or a more restricted environment for a student for a shorter period of time. We also need to help administrators understand that what we do is very unique that we're not just tutoring kids, but we are providing an extensive curriculum, the expanded core curriculum, that involves nine areas of instruction, and that student IEP should include all nine areas of instruction. And if that can't be done during the school year, then it can be done during summer, or it can be done during short courses. Um, another area that we face is in terms of in nationally is that there is a huge trend um, toward of course academic success success and achievement and so there is a great emphasis on state testing 
and progress monitoring. Not all of those tests are completely accessible, or, um, and, and so it makes it difficult because students don't have the skills, don't have the materials to access those tests. Now, we have made great strides with SBAC, and, which is Smarter Balanced, and, um, and other testing agencies. However, we have a ways to go. Progress monitoring uh, assessments are not always ex as accessible, and so our students don't have an equal playing field. In terms of national, or in terms of IDEA, I'd like to share that um, the IEDEA has not been reauthorized, and I spoke with Mark Reichert last week about this. However, there are some, there is some movement in terms of um, some of our national efforts. Um, I will tell you that, that the Cogswell-Macy Act is slowly moving forward, and it is bipartisan, which is really exciting. There is a House bill, and uh, there are two sponsors in the House, and that we're looking toward um, sponsors in the Senate. This bill will, will allow us to talk about and, and really validate areas of the expanded core curriculum for students who are blind or visually impaired. It will legitimize what we do with kids in terms of ensuring that what students get in a school program, not only academics, but preparing students for life, that students have opportunities for careers, that they have opportunities for travel, independent travel, that they have opportunities for learning independent living skills, that they are able to access technology, that they are users of, um, and strong users of literacy, that we use assessments to monitor student progress in terms of um, functional vision assessments and learning media assessments. That's what Cogswell-Macy is going to allow us to do. So we really need, as a country, to pass this legislation. Um, a couple weeks ago, I'd say a month ago, a letter came out by the assistant se or the secretary of the Office of Special Education Programs, and I think that um, it really is causing a bit of confusion among special education administrators across the country. Um, <clears throat> the letter really tried to define or expand who is eligible for services if you are a student who is blind or visually impaired. And the letter talked about students who have binocular vision impairments or students who have convergence disorders. Now, this is not something necessarily that teachers, students with visual impairments are trained to work on. Generally, those students are are served by vision therapists or optometrists who have that specialization. However, we are seeing a greater number of students who have cerebral visual impairment in, um, uh, in our roles. And so the role of the teacher of the visually impaired is being expanded on a national level to really look at 
how cerebral visual impairment or binocular visual impairment affects a student's learning. And that's what we look at. If a visual impairment is severe enough to impact a student's learning, then the student is eligible for services. And so that's what we need to look at. However, I believe this letter may cause some legal issues within school districts in the long run. Mark may disagree with me. I will tell you that um, AFB has written an excellent letter of response to the secretary or the acting secretary of the Office of Special Education Programs. It's really difficult to determine what's going to happen in, with, with the new um, administration and our new secretary of education in terms of her willingness to support teacher preparation programs and many of our teacher preparation programs are really um, come about by grants from the Office of Special Education Programs to support people to go into teacher education to serve students who are blind or visually impaired. So it's really hard to say how that's going to impact the future of our programs. The one thing is clear, we need more teachers. The other thing that's clear is that we need more leaders to serve as administrators at schools for the blind. There are a great number of administrators who will be retiring or who have retired. And my fear is, is that we don't have the leadership to bring on new personnel. At my school, I just hired, or in the last two years, I've hired three new program administrators. And one will, another one will be retiring at the end of this year. So that's a whole new group of administrators, plus finding people who have skills to be leaders, to educate staff, to lead staff, to make schools for the blind um, strong and to continue to be strong. We don't want them to be swallowed up. So what does this mean for ACB? A couple things. I encourage all of you to support families and helping them understand what their roles and responsibilities are as families. That they have the right to a continuum of services for their students. Not just one option, but many different options. They have a right to very comprehensive IEP and ITP, Individual Transition Plan, in programs. I encourage you to be involved with your, your LEA. I have a wonderful community advisory committee, and I have representatives, strong representation from CCB on my community advisory board. So I encourage all of you to do that. I encourage you to nurture new leaders in the field of blindness and visual impairment, especially blind leaders. Do you know that I am the only blind female superintendent of all schools for the blind in the United States? There, 
So I encourage you, find those young, energetic, competent people to go into education and to become leaders, to become administrators. It's not an easy job, but it is the best job I have had in my whole entire career as an educator. I encourage you to work toward bringing a new, uh, looking, at looking at developing, along with other organizations like the American Foundation for the Blind, updating a policy guidance paper on educating students who are blind, visually impaired, deafblind, including students with multiple disabilities. I encourage you to look at a national perspective and look at how we can work with the National Association of Special Education Administrators or school administrators throughout the country and develop some guidelines, some new guidelines, to help them provide quality services to blind and visually impaired kids throughout this country. We're at a crossroads, I believe. I believe we need to be strong, we need to be solid, we need to support our specialized schools so they continue to have a place in the continuum of services. We need to support teachers in, in, special in public school programs, making sure that they are able to provide quality education programs. One thing I just forgot, and I think it's important for you to all know about, that in California, and I believe this is a trend possibly nationally, that orientation mobility instructors are not being allowed to serve kids after school hours or to serve them off campus. So how on earth are we able to make students or help students to become independents? independent. It, you can't do it on a school campus. It's not possible. You have to put them out in the environment. And I'm sure it involves some lawyer who said this is a risk. But you know what? For blind people, life is an adventure and it is a risk. And we need to make sure as a community that, the, that we give our students every opportunity, every opportunity to reach their highest potential. That is what I believe, that is what I aspire to as a school leader. I've saved maybe a couple minutes for questions, comments. I'm gonna be here all day. Ah. Karen Mitch Pomerantz. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. I'm. When and if, or maybe it should be if and when, IDEA gets reauthorized. Um, we were just approached by Joe Xavier, who you know. Mm -hmm. and, and Joe posed a question to the members of the Blind Advisory Committee. He said, if you had a recommendation to make with regard to reauthorization of IDEA, what would it be? And what I've indicated to Joe is that the 
definition of least restrictive environment needs to be expanded. And I was reminded by a special education teacher, a VI teacher in California who serves on the committee, who said Phil Hatlin mentioned most appropriate mm -hmm. education. In some way, somehow, we have to find a way to make that LRE definition such that there is no question, there is no ambiguity that that definition also includes the placement of blind or visually impaired kids in, in uh, residential schools uh, for however long it takes for them to learn the blindness skills that they're not learning in most, most of our, our local school districts. I completely agree, 100%. Um, I have to tell you, we just finished three, no, I'm sorry, six summer academies in three weeks. We had 75 kids from LEAs on our campus. And th it gave them an opportunity to just be kids. We had a computer science camp. We had assistive technology and sports camps. We had let's get active. We had Ready, Set, Go, which was living skills and mobility. These, and a fine arts academy. And the kids loved it. They loved it. To me, that is least restrictive. When they can just move about on their own and the expectation is you're going to do it and you're going to do it on your own. I cannot tell you how many kids, younger kids, came and could not do things as simply as brush their teeth because their parents were doing it for them, okay? So, it's not that parents don't, you know, parents need to be educated, family ne families need to be brought along. I totally agree. LRE, for a blind kid, the most appropriate placement may be a specialized school for the blind. And it may be for a short period of time, or it may be for a longer period of time. Do you know that the greatest number of kids we're getting at our school are all junior high and high school kids who, are in, who should be in mainstream programs, but there are no resource rooms for blind or visually impaired kids. So they come to CSB, and they spend half of their school day at our local high, junior high and high schools. And if there had, would be a resource room for blind or visually impaired kids in their LEA, then there wouldn't be that need. But I'm glad there is a need because my school is thriving. What I'm saying, it needs to be a partnership. And yes, we do need to expand that definition. And we need to include all the areas of the expanded core curriculum to legitimize what we do. LRE um, is Least Restrictive Environment, Local Education Agency. Sorry. Okay, I was going to ask. Do Thank you. Know, you. Could, do you know, do all states have the same law on you have to have a certain degree to be a teacher for a uh, braille, depends, teaching Braille? It depends on your state, but I would say that most states, yes, you do have to have um, certification. Yeah, because I know that I took one test in California to be a teacher. And they didn't even give me time to practice. So they said, since I didn't pass it, they'll never pay for me to, again to do it. Yeah. I wonder if you're in the 
Las Vegas, they'll do it tonight. All right. Can, can I ask thank, just one quick thank question? You. Well, Sharon will be up here um, at the conclusion of the, the session today. And um, if anybody wants to have a more detailed conversation with her about their situation or their state situation, I just want to say thank you to Sharon. She is so knowledgeable and such an advocate for students who are blind and visually impaired in this country. And I don't know what we're going to do with, without her when she, she decides to make that decision about retirement. I hope it's not for a while. But uh, thank you, Sharon, for all you do. You, you're really making a difference. And ACB wants to be there right with you, helping and making the future possible for kids who are blind or visually impaired. John. Next, it is my pleasure to introduce somebody who I think I first met when the, um, what was then the Old Dominion Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired, was beginning a Northern Virginia chapter. And she sat there with her Versa Braille and all that good stuff, and we were out there on Quincy Street. You can't? Well, I'll have to talk louder then. Say again? Okay. All right, well, I know. I know, Okay. <laughs> All right, so it's my pleasure to introduce to you Ms. Judy Dixon to talk about Ski for Light, 40 Years and Going Strong. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Good morning, everyone. How many folks in this room have attended a Ski for Light event? Wow. <laughs> that is great. Ski for Light has been going for 42 years in the United States. The primary goal of Ski for Light is to teach blind, visually impaired, and mobility impaired persons how to cross-country ski. And if you already know how to cross-country ski, it's a chance to get even better. A typical week at Ski for Light will have about 100 blind and visually impaired folks a few mobility-impaired skiers, and 100-plus sighted guides. The program was founded in Norway in 1964 and was brought to the U.S. in 1975. My first Ski for Light was in 1977, and I have not missed an event since. I was a very young child. <laughs> Actually, Ski for Light is for adults 18 and over. It's held in a different place each year, and in January 2018, it will be right here at the Nugget Resort. It's kind of hard to imagine Ski for Light in this hotel, but somehow we're going to be able to do it. Uh, we'll be skiing at the Tahoe Donner Ski Area in Truckee. It's a world-class cross-country skiing venue. Cross-country skiing is different from downhill skiing. And downhill skiing, you just kind of pray. <laughs> <laughs> Cross-country skis are much longer and skinnier and lighter. The boots are not so terribly different from running shoes, except they have little things on the front end to attach the boot to your skis. But it's, all the equipment is lighter and more comfortable. And cross-country skiing is a great sport for blind folks because cross-country skiing, the blind skier makes a lot of his or her own decisions about how to ski, how fast to ski, um, how, to, 
how much you want to slow down, when you want to slow down. Oh my God, I'm going too fast. And you can make those kinds of decision, decisions yourself. A blind skier skis in a set of tracks. That's kind of grooves in the snow, flattened out places. And your skis sort of stay in most of the time. Um, <laughs> uh, somebody's been there. And each blind skier is paired with a sighted guide. And the sighted guide says things like, okay, okay, you're going to find now straight ahead, straight, uh, curving a little to the right, starting down, down, okay, hills leveling out now, things like that. Look out for the tree, yes. Um, <laughs> Skiing is a really fun, and a lot of people say, I don't think I want to cross-country ski because I really don't like being cold. But the cool thing about cross-country skiing is you generate plenty of body heat. So you are a toasty worm out there while cross-country. It's so nice to be outside in the winter and actually be warm and be able to enjoy it and dress lightly and move around. In addition to skiing, we have a lot of other activities. There are special interest sessions that people from within the community present on topics that they're knowledgeable about. There's a silent auction. There's evening activities. Lots and lots of things to do throughout the week. The cost for double occupancy is $950, which includes room, all meals, transportation to and from the ski area, to and from the airport, and all activities. First-time participants get free rental of skis, boots, and poles. And first and second-time participants are eligible for partial stipends based on financial need. Applications are available online uh, as of the 15th, which is just a few days from now, on the Ski for Light website, which is www.sflskiforlight.org. www.sfl.org. And the application deadline is November 1st, but if you get it in sooner, you'll find out sooner if you're accepted and may be able to get a better airfare, because we all know how high those airfares were to get here. Um, to learn more about Ski for Light, tomorrow evening, Tuesday evening, there will be a Ski for Light reception in Pavilion A at 545. And several veterans, I guess we have quite a lot of veterans, Ski for Light folks, will be there to tell you about what a great event it is and encourage you to consider applying. And you can learn more about Ski for Light. It's a great opportunity. It's, as Sharon said, life is an adventure and take a risk. And Ski for Light certainly embodies the idea of taking an adventure and taking a risk. One thing I personally appreciate about Ski for Light, skiing is fun, but the people are amazing. There is nothing else that I do in my life where I am around 250 truly interesting involved people. The sighted people are fabulous. The blind people are fabulous. It's a great event. I encourage all of you to consider Ski for Light next winter. Thank you. Okay, I think we're going to wrap. Nope. Okay.
Okay, well, well, uh, we have come to the conclusion of this session, so it has been Mr. a Chair, pleasure. Mr. Chair, time for an announcement. Announcements? All right. Announcements? Okay. Go ahead. Mr. Chair, this is Judy Wilkinson with an announcement. Okay, go ahead. Well, for all of you getting ready for Ski for Light, come and see the move, the little treadmill that goes under your desk there in the Fremont room this afternoon. Tomorrow afternoon, there's an announcement in your newspaper about them, and you can make an appointment or show up. You can make an appointment by calling 310-927-8883 or come to the Fremont room later today. They'll be at Marketplace tomorrow morning and Wednesday, and we look forward to having you check out this clever little device. Excellent. Yeah. Maybe he needs a third. Oh, you can get the table, Mike. There we go. Good morning. Uh, this is Ray Campbell. This is not a secretarial announcement. I'm sure you're all glad of that. Um, I'm putting on my Illinois hat. How would anybody like to win some money? Well, Illinois Council of the Blind has just the opportunity for you to do that through our 50-50 online summer raffle. It's only be, tickets are only being sold online. They're $5 each or five tickets for $20. And it's very easy. You can go to www.icb as in boy online.org forward slash summer dash raffle. Purchase yours today. And the deadline is August 28th. We'll draw on September 5th. So the fall, look forward to the fall and maybe winning some money. Thank you. Any other announcements? Okay. That's good. There are no other announcements. I'll just take a moment of personal privilege on two matters. First of all, as people know, that I'm now in Arizona, and I've been asked to, uh, many of you know Barbara McDonald. She and Richard would be here, except that they are celebrating their 50th anniversary. So give them a hand. She is somebody I'm going to be relying on big time because she's got a wealth of knowledge, especially about who the players are in Arizona, particularly in the advocacy field, you know, the state legislation and all that stuff. Lastly, I want to commend in the highest terms uh, the two people who are doing incredible service on the uh, Twitter feed, that's Michael Malver. Hey, give him a hand. It's Michael Malver and Mike, Michael Capel. Okay, Michael Malver just back-channeled me. He said, you know, he said I was sounding good, and I like to hear that. And he also uh, spoke about stuff, uh, so the pre-configuring. The Twitter team really rocks, and I also want to shout-out to Kelly Gask because she's part of the social media team and really has our back in Twitter being a part of that team. I think, having said that, put a fork in it, as they say, we're done. Um, we stand in recess until tomorrow at 8.30. I don't hear it. Hello? Okay, that concludes today's general session. I'm going to, since we didn't get to air this during the break, I'm going to air the HumanWare sponsor, Jason Castingway, um gets to interview Greg Stilson of HumanWare. And then following that, uh, Debbie will have tomorrow's agenda. So with that, so long, and I'll have the replay up here shortly. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Castingway for ACB Radio. And joining me now is Greg Stilson from HumanWare. Hi, Greg. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on. 
Oh, it's a pleasure. Before we get started, on behalf of ACB, I want to thank Humanware for their Ruby sponsorship for the 2017 conference and convention. No, it's always our pleasure to sponsor such a great convention there. Thank you. So, it sounds like there are some new things going on at Humanware. Always, always. Yes. <laughs> Please fill yeah. me in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So my job is really, uh, people call me the Braille guy, but I manage all the blindness products at Humanware. So uh, the most recent one that we launched last year was the Braille Note Touch. Yes. And the Braille Note Touch has been extremely popular over the past 12 plus months, really exceeding even our expectations. We've updated it around, I think it's been four times now, and there will be a fifth update, So, it, but it's the official version four will be launched in July. Mm-hmm. And with it, it's a huge foundational update. We are addressing some feature requests and issues that people have been having. But one of the big features that we're super excited to be announcing is what we call the app-by-app updater. And this is a really significant change in the way that assistive technology is being updated. So what we're doing is actually creating a mechanism where we can push out individual app updates so mm-hmm. that we can address feature requests and issues that people find a whole lot faster. What this is going to allow us to do is rather than updating maybe once every five to six months, we could potentially go every six weeks and bring features and enhancements to individual apps. Um, it also allows us to really expand the localization of the product to new markets, to new countries, new languages at a much more rapid pace. And so it's really a way for us to push the features and bring this product further along than, uh, than even we're, we've done so far. So um, we're also we're, we're, we're bringing in a bunch of new features in addition to that, um, addressing people's requests. One of the things that I know people have been requesting is they got to watch their YouTube videos. And so uh, we've, we've worked with Google to, uh, to update our video libraries. And so uh, once in a while, people were saying that, um, that YouTube was crashing on them and things like that, um, along with Google Classroom for the students. You could get by that, but sometimes people were running into some issues. So I'm happy to say that we've updated the libraries from Google. And uh, we are bringing in an encrypted device for people who are in government and things like that, you will be able to encrypt your Braille Note Touch with government-level encryption as well. Um, So there are some enhancements there along with a bunch of bug fixes and things like that that always accompany these type of updates. But uh, more importantly, shortly after this release in July, we'll be launching a stream of apps that will be pushed out to all the users with specific app updates. So things specific to keyword, key mail, key math, that kind of stuff that are our apps. Mm-hmm. Um, that we can update. So pretty exciting stuff on the Braille Note side. Fabulous. All right. Next, we will be beginning to ship in July the Brilliant 14. So the Brilliant 14 is um, Humanware's uh, really small and portable, but yet intelligent display. So we announced this product at Site City in Germany. And it's really our first product of this type. We've gone more of the traditional style 32 and 40 cell Braille displays. This is our device that's really directed at every iPhone user out there. And we say iPhone because that's really where we're starting. Um, It will be eventually an Android-compatible device as well. Mm -hmm. I think you can already use it with Android, but um, we have the Brilliant Sync functionality. And where this really is powerful, I, I would say there's two significant features of this product is number one it's using a bluetooth low energy module so it's got a second chip that ensures that it always stays connected to your iphone Um, Mm -hmm. so you won't have to have issues where 
the device comes unpaired and then you have to go into voiceover settings and braille and make sure that you repair it and things like that. So it's always going to be paired. But the really cool thing about this is that it actually functions as sort of a pen and paper. So that's really our second goal is to emulate what a sighted person does when they go into a meeting with a pen and paper. And so what we can do with this product is actually take notes on the device and then when you pair it back up to your iPhone or you unlock your iPhone and it connects, it will actually auto-sync those notes um, via the Brilliant Sync app that you can download today on the App Store. Sync it with any device that's using your email account. So for example, I have Gmail tied to my iPad, to my computer and Outlook, to my iPhone. And as soon as it syncs up, you'll see the notes that you took standalone on your Brilliant display without it being paired with anything. You'll see that connected to or those notes sync up with the notes app in your iPhone. It'll sync up with the notes folder in your Outlook under Gmail, for example, um, on your iPad. All those things happen seamlessly without you really even doing anything. So you just pair the device up and it magically syncs everything across. So it's a very slick little tool. And we're excited to bring it at the retail price of below $1,000. So it's going to be $9.95 retail. Wow, that is very exciting. It's really slick. You know, a lot of times I'd say the workflow that a lot of sighted people use, and I use, say, on my Braille Note Touch and stuff like that with Google Drive, Mm -hmm. is if I'm taking notes, I'll go back to another device uh, like a PC or if, you know, as a blind professional, you probably use multiple devices. You can then edit and kind of do some action items from a meeting and things like that on those devices. Well, this sort of just brings everything magically over there at a relatively uh, lower cost than, than other devices. Yes. Now, when you're in this standalone mode, do you have some rudimentary editing functions like can you you know, delete things or, or... Yeah, you can... It's it's really like a pen and paper. So you're not going to be doing much selection of text or spell checking or anything like that. This is basically a pen and paper. You can obviously delete words and, and delete characters and stuff like that, but you're not going to be doing any really advanced type of editing stuff. And that's really where uh, we, where we wanted to draw the line is that we wanted to basically... You know, at this lower price, we can't obviously do expansive word processing and stuff like that. So our goal is really to do a couple things. So on the device, we have the note taker that allows you to synchronize with multiple different accounts if you want to do that. If you have an exchange account and a Gmail account and you want the notes to go in different areas, you can categorize them to say, I want these to sync with exchange and these to sync with Gmail. Mm-hmm. We also have a stopwatch on the device so you can uh, time something quickly if you need to. And then we have some settings, and that's really about it on the device. It's not to say that we're not going to expand it further, but you know, at this stage, this is really where we wanted to do the note-taking really well, sure. and we wanted to make sure it, it never comes disconnected from your phone. And that's really, you know, when people, when we ask people what they're looking for in a Braille display, that was the two top priorities, was we want to be able to take notes in a meeting, and we want to make sure we don't have to repair the thing all the time. That's great. I sure look forward to seeing that. Yeah, and I'd say the size is really exciting. I was doing the commencement speech. I had the honor of doing that last week at the California School for the Blind, and I had this device in my suit jacket, so it gives you a sense of how small it was. Mm, Great. Yeah, so the next thing I just want to briefly talk about is that we do have for our low vision users, we have the Prodigy Connect 12, the new generation. And this is a humanware design tablet specific to people with low vision. Um, It's a fully Google-certified tablet. It does have the ability to do some pretty advanced things. You can do live viewing of text and things like that, but you also do it in what's what we call our diamond edge text, which is 
it does on the fly OCR. So it's basically taking that shadowy text and things like that and turning it into this beautiful, crisp digital text that you can read. Mm -hmm. um, you can use your pinch and zoom gestures on the tablet screen. And then we also have a long distance camera that can connect wirelessly to this device that allows you to look at uh, things like whiteboards and chalkboards and stuff like that in the distance as well in the device. It does come with some apps as well. We have a connection to Bookshare. If you're a Bookshare member and you want to download books um, and read it in that Diamond Edge text. And you, of course, have access to all the Google Play Store and the Google apps that you can use with the traditional Google Zoom functionality that you would want to do. So it's sort of a product that's designed for our college students, our professionals, that kind of stuff. But it does serve a lot of purposes. Mm -hmm. That's great. And the last kind of thing I want to talk about is a, a bit of a, a, a teaser or a surprise. I can't say too much yet, but we will be sort of pre-announcing a product coming up that people have been asking for for probably about 18 months now. And that is HumanWare will be re-entering the navigation and GPS space. So uh -huh. I can't say a whole lot more than that, but you will see a product coming up here in July that we're going to be announcing at the summer shows that will be uh, a product that allows us to re-enter into that GPS and navigation space. There's a lot of people out there that were really sad when we had to discontinue the Trekker Breeze due to part sourcing issues and things like that. So HumanWare has always been a, uh, an orientation and mobility company. We believe that more information, especially me being somebody who travels and, and is blind, we truly understand that more information is better when you're traveling and a lot of people understand that when you're traveling with a cane or a guide dog, you don't always have a free hand or a free finger to be using a touchscreen. <laughs> and some people would prefer to have physical buttons when they're doing that. And so sure. um, we're going to be coming back to that space and have a product for those people that want it. Well, that is great, folks. I think there are many exciting things to look for. And um, I know as one who is going to a convention, I will be checking out the HumanWare booth. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to seeing yourself, Jason, and, uh, and everybody at the ACB convention. All right, Greg. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Here is the agenda for Tuesday, July 4th, beginning in the Rose Ballroom at 8 a.m. Entertainment, Sandra Rokonik, Piano, Salt Lake City, Utah. 8.30 a.m. Invocation, Pastor George Gordon, Austin, Texas. Pledge of Allegiance, Richard Kolash, President, Visually Impaired Veterans of America, Viva, Maplewood, Missouri, and David Dowland, Viva Secretary, Treasurer, Tulsa, Oklahoma. 8.35 a.m., ACB Business, ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas. Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair. Indianapolis, Indiana. Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. Presiding Officer, Ray Campbell. ACB Secretary, Glen Ellen, Illinois. 9.15 a.m. Murder, Mayhem, Medicine, Miss Manners, and more. 30 years as an NLS narrator, Madeline Bazard. American Printing House for the Blind, Louisville, Kentucky. 9.45 a.m., Ruby Sponsor Presentation highlights in the Amazon Entertainment Space with the Fire TV and Smart Televisions, Peter Korn, Accessibility Architect, Amazon, Sunnyvale, California, 10.15 a.m. break, 
10.30 a.m., Executive Director's Report, Eric Bridges, Alexandria, Virginia. 11 a.m., ABLE Act, Achieving a Better Life Experience, Section 529A of the Internal Revenue Code. What is it, and how can you take full advantage of it? Anthony, Tony Stevens, ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Alexandria, Virginia, 11.20 a.m., News from Down Under. Meet Cameron Rolls, member of the Board of Directors, Vision Australia, Canberra, Australia, 11.30 a.m., Award Presentations and Updates from the ACB Audio Description Project, Joel Schneider, Director, Audio Description Project, Tacoma Park, Maryland. Chris Gray, ADP Awards Chair, St. Louis, Missouri. And Dan Spoon, Chair, Audio Description Project, Steering Committee, Orlando, Florida. 11.55 a.m. Announcements. And that concludes the agenda for Tuesday, July 4th.